1: All right, round one goes to Purdue. Wow, what a game last night. We'll talk about it. Purdue smacking Indiana around, and we'll talk about it for, well, maybe three hours here on the program. Tons of Colts things, Pacers items as well. A busy, busy Wednesday, a hump day here on The Fan. It's the wake-up call. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dighton producing today's effort. A reminder, Rick Carlisle will be joining us today at about 9.30. Cannot wait. For that conversation, but let's jump into it as Purdue all over Indiana. And I have to start with this. I might be I might have a bone to pick with Kevin Bowen today as we begin. I had no idea that our guy here was gonna be in Bloomington last well, night. it
5: was a very late edition.
1: Oh, uh, was it? Okay, because I had no idea you're you're snapping photos, it's the big time environment. You know, you could see about half the stadium how far up
5: you were my yearly workout, <laughs> you know, climbing to oh seats my God. In, in, in those areas. I I you got your steps in yesterday i still don't know if it's better to be in the i think it is better to be in the balcony at assembly hall which takes 13 minutes to get up there or to be versus the top of the lower right level which is where well you were there man i was I, last I, night. I had no idea you were yeah, there i uh, was it? fortunate uh, to come across some tickets and uh and good for you just an incredible incredible environment i let off the show yesterday with this is one of my favorite days of the year and i was reminded of that early on in that game stress on early and i was trying to think driving in this morning. I forget. At what point, Maddie Bowen, a uh, IU grad, uh, again, my Notre Dame basketball fandom supersedes everything. I, I forget at what point she leaned over to me because I feel like it could have been one of 3,700 times during the game of, Kev, this is so bad. <laughs> and you yeah. you use the boxing analogy right there at yeah. the start, round right? one. Did you just say round one? Uh, Andy, that was a TKO. It's a knockout, yeah. There'll be a round two, not sure how. Uh, You know, well, Indiana will be off by then. This time, yesterday, I was shocked at the line of nine and a half. Vegas knows all. You were all over it, Andy. Um, Yeah, just a clinical, surgical performance by Purdue in that environment. And um, Mike Woodson's roster construction, Mike Woodson's in-game management of McKenzie and Baco, Khalil Ware, uh, just beyond head-scratching. And how about a guy like Fletcher Lawyer for, at times last season, a big disappearing act and some critical moments Uh, He was outstanding, and boy, you watch Purdue, and they make one addition, really, in the offseason, you know, and and I'm thinking, boy, is Lance Jones really enough? Like, is he really, like... We don't know anything about Lance Jones, right? Is that the guy? And then all of a sudden, last night, in that environment, he delivers for you, and delivers early. You know, I I think you point to what he and Lawyer did early. That kind of set the tone. Obviously, Edie speaks for himself. Uh, You think IU could use a guy like Lance Jones? You think Boy, think that would I, be a, nice use, portal, could portal use a lot of guys. They could use Maybe a ton putting of guys. All the eggs in the broken foot Xavier volatile Xavier Johnson basket and Trey Galloway ascending from role player to lead guard was probably not the path to take. Just such an embarrassing, embarrassing, pathetic performance from Indiana. Um Purdue, again, absolutely surgical for them. They get, you know, benefit from Wisconsin losing last night. Uh, and the biggest win in Bloomington for Purdue In the series since 1930.
1: Let me set up the show. Joe Wright's going to join us coming up here in about 30 minutes. He'll join us at 7.30 or so. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the end of the cold season. Rick Carlisle at 9.30. We kind of have an interesting quandary here. Lots of rumors out there about the Pacers and Pascal Siakam. So, uh, obviously, we'll try to to weave around that and get some thoughts on Rick Carlisle on what he may want to say, what he can't say. Obviously, the Pacers, the walking moondy, we'll try to get some updates there. Otherwise, we'll play some sound. A lot to do today with Indiana and Purdue. I guess I would start just with this, and we can go back and forth here uh, over the next three hours. You're right. The management of fouls, the fouling itself, the second half comeback. For me, listen, I think it's, you know, today, it's a lot of, it bleeds, it leads, and I understand that, and that is how uh, this game will be perceived probably more so on this station, more so because there are more Indiana fans, more IU fans, KB. of It's going to be seen as what a disaster for the Hoosiers. And it was. And I think that is obviously one of the leads. It just needs to be said, you know, Purdue, and you mentioned Lawyer, whoever it may be, hitting shots early. Jones hitting shots early to settle things down. The other side of this is, is, you know, Purdue walked in there and smacked Indiana around. And there have been times even this season that even though it's a rivalry game, you let a bad team, you let an average team hang around. Now, the second half, and there are things we can dive into with that, but, um, you know, Purdue walked in and was ready to go. They had a game plan, and they were ready to go in this one. And then, you know, while there's good, there's bad, and, and, you know, in the wind for Purdue – I would say one silver lining with some of the bad is, you know, Purdue gets the big lead, and then in the second half, what, IU hit seven of their first ten shots, and Trey Galloway, I mean, Trey Galloway, a couple of those, those shots didn't hit anything. I mean, those were uh, quite literally nothing but net. And then Purdue has to kind of – Kinda gotta, gotta check themselves. They have to make uh changes to what they were doing defensively. They have to get the focus back when the game gets down under ten. It got down to nine a couple different times there in the second half. And then they, they beat Indiana down again. They take them out again uh for that second time. And so when you talk about an ebb and flow to these games, you know, Purdue able to get the lead, have that great first half, have Indiana come back. They make changes changes extend the lead and really bury indiana a second time uh, i think there's something to that and it left indiana without this taste in their mouth of well we lost by six moral victory
5: crap no who's your fan left there thinking moral victory crap last night you know just so sad that it even potentially took a half like that to i guess somewhat wake up i i don't even really i that run and i put that in quotes to start the second half i am That wasn't real. That way, God bless that crowd because it was just simply they wanted something to cling to. They want. It's like they were trying to lift a car. It's like we want. We think we're going in there, and yeah, all right, you grab that side, I grab this side. One, two, three. It's a couple threes, right? Lift, and then it's like, oh bleep, (laughs) we can't even move it. It's like they would cut it to twelve, and I'm like. Damn, the whole section standing up yeah. around me. Yeah, I'm like, God bless this fan. Like, it's why I love the rivalry. When they're trying. It's just, it's unbelievable passion. And I'll echo something I said. I think after the Rutgers loss, I, I find me a program in college basketball, Andy, that has spent, invested time, resources, money. Everyone to look at it more into their basketball pro- program over the last decade and gotten less out of it. And you know what? We had Tom Crean on yesterday. You think three Sweet Sixteens in his last six years would look pretty good right now?
1: Yeah, I think we look back on Tom Cream's era a little bit differently after what we've seen with Archie Miller and even a couple years with Mike Woodson. Yeah, like, that's a fair thing to say. And, Absolutely, and on,
5: on the Woodson front, the taking McKenzie and Baco. Because for me, why I thought Indiana would hang in there would would you know make this a game uh, for the better part of forty minutes. I thought McKenzie and Baco would be a really tough cover for Purdue. Andy, I believe he had the first seven last night. And all of a sudden, he gets two fouls. Khalil Ware gets two fouls. And as this lead starts to grow, and it starts to snowball a bit, Mike Woodson does not put either back in the game. I found it very fitting. Ware finished 26 minutes played. McKenzie and Baco, 26 minutes played. They combined for one foul after their sit and timeout with two for a huge— I think the lead grew from, I believe it was like 3 to 19, I think, when Ware— was out and McKenzie Mbaka and was pretty much on the same timeline as Cleo Ware. They came back with 2.14 left in the half and they were down 18 at the that point. They were down 43.25. That was the score. The yep. game is over at that point. I just, that is to me, it's such NBA stubbornness from Mike Woodson. I think we see that way too often from him in his in game management. Again, I would argue his roster construction in putting the puzzle. Together for them. Um, I also want to give a little bit, uh, I mean, again, Edie. It's like we take we it just, for granted. We just no, take we do. him for granted. No, no, we do. Saturday, Andy had 30 and 20 and 30 minutes. No, it's ridiculous. Last we take night, it for granted. the biggest front line in the Big Ten. Yep. He's got 33 and 14. And I tweeted out after the game. He is so damn skilled. He's 7'4", but his ability to catch, his ability to have touch, what was he, 11 of 12 from the foul line, his ability to be stamina-wise, he's diving on the floor three minutes to go in the game. Uh, He is incredibly skilled for a player that big. Um, And Brayden Smith was 2 of 14 which is obviously an ugly, ugly-looking number. And, you know, if we want to project to, you know, the <laughs> second matchup in February, now you start to look at Braden Smith. I think he was 3 of 18. But he just missed so two many, two many shots that were 4 feet. So yeah. You know what he Everything did, was a 4-footer. He did something that Xavier Johnson and Gabe Cups couldn't sniff last night, and that was Braden Smith handling the basketball for 9 assists throughout the game. He quarterbacked them. He kept that turnover number overall low, and you look at Cups and you look at Xavier Johnson – they combined for 41 minutes. They have one assist, four turnovers combined out of that point guard position. And the more Xavier Johnson played, the better Purdue played. Purdue should give Xavier Johnson the game ball at the second <laughs> matchup here coming up. The, in, the, in, the, the real game ball or the February. alternate well, game yeah. ball from Giannis? That is yeah. uh, Zachy, You probably one? need to be honored for another thing. <laughs> Fair, Fair game enough with that, but um, it, 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 yeah, I, it just such a embarrassing performance from Indiana, and at the same time, Purdue deserves. A ton of credit for walking to that environment, which to use Zach Eadie's words, we were shell-shocked. Some of our guys were shell-shocked by it last season. And again, it's a lot of the same group of guys. And they handled it beautifully. And and that's just, you know, that's, that's not a guarantee. And Matt Painter said after the game, you know, it's one thing to win the neutral court games like we have. Right. But to win on the road like this. To I go guess, on the road. They've, they've struggled, yeah. Is not something we have done to the degree that I would like this season, of course. Uh, and, and again, that was absolutely surgical by Matt Painter and his bunch. Yeah,
1: we'll get into some of the smaller things that happened throughout the game, which is how we get to 87-66, your final last night in Bloomington. Give Purdue uh, all the credit in the world. Matt Painter, Zach Eady, Braden Smith, Lawyer, the entire group uh, for the basketball they played last night for, well, at least 30, 35 minutes of of the game. Uh, just quickly on IU, and then we'll move on to a couple different items here uh, on our first segment. You know, for me, and I've been clear with this, the analysis is rather simple. Yes, could Mike Woodson have not fallen asleep at the wheel with Ware and Mbaco? Uh, I would agree with that, but He just doesn't have a talented team. I I don't know what else to say. Part of the team is talented. Uh, Ware could not get two fouls because then they could really focus in on renew, and they did a great job uh, for the most part on him. But I just, you know, for me, Indiana doesn't have the horses. They don't have the roster. That's why I thought they would keep it close. They would play well. I had it 83-70 yesterday. And then in the final, you know, three, four, five, six minutes, uh, they would finally give in because they're not that good. Good of a team to me. IU season KB is directly on the brink. I don't mind saying it. It absolutely is. Oh, I think it's over. I, I mean, I I think yeah. You could say they just got pushed off the ledge. I mean, unless last you went night. in the Kohl
5: Center for the first time since I was in diapers. Yeah, and on I, Friday, yeah, I've like... never
1: seen it. It's it's just it's just not going to happen. And you know you saw Purdue daring them. Please shoot threes, guys. Please shoot threes. And I, you know, listen. I could say I hate to harp on it, but I don't hate to harp on it. This season, partially was predicated on, you know, we don't need some of these different, you Dalton Connect and some of these other guards. I know they went after him, but it was all going to be okay because you got Xavier Johnson back. And this was predicated on Xavier Johnson not giving you a zero, not being, not being a negative, not being a complete mess. imagine betting on that.
5: Imagine betting on a guy that has been compared well, to Lance Stevenson. Good Lance, bad Lance. A guy that off the floor has not given it for you and on fair the floor... Enough can look like all-conference one game and the next game he looks like you know, it was a, terrible. A, a, an absolute laughingstock. Yeah. Like, right now, he wouldn't play for Southern no, Indiana. He, he's, he's a laughingstock. And that, you know, everything was predicated.
1: You know, Galloway, sure. Uh, you, did you want him to be more consistent? I mean, I think for the most part, Renew and Calique Ware and Mbako now are starting to live up to what you thought they were going to do. I think Galloway, to a certain extent, is doing that as well. But that that guard position, that point guard position, that team leader, that quarterback, uh, it's a mess. And it was Predicated on Xavier Johnson not being a mess, and he's a complete mess. And I think it—I hate to say it—really starts there. But for me, it does start there.
5: It does. As Andy said, Joe Wright's going to join us here coming up uh, in a little bit, probably 7:30, uh, maybe a little bit after that, as we recap the Colts season with uh, one of their radio voices and Joe Wright's Rick Carlisle. 9:30 today. We try and time up. The time change. God uh, bless him joining him. us, by the way. Yes, I cannot imagine <laughs> doing that in the morning. at all. Uh, we do want to share this here in the opening segment, though. And, you know, I, I think when we've talked about Jim Irsay and his health situation right now, Andy, I've hoped that, you know, when we have done that over the past couple of weeks, stress that, you know, Jim is Jim's struggling and, you know, thoughts certainly uh, with his family. I don't think Chris Bauer would use a word like stable last mm-hmm. Thursday in the press conference Uh, if this was not something that, you know, was serious. And obviously Jim uh, has dealt with a lot health-wise in his life. Uh, This came out in the wee hours of the morning. I think this rumor has been going around uh, quite a bit really for the past couple of weeks. But confirmed here uh, via the Carmel Police Department, TMZ had this report uh, in that back on December 8th at around 4.30 in the morning, uh, Jim Mersey found laying in his bed, unresponsive, cold to the touch, and gasping for air during a suspected overdose. Again, this was December 8th, about 4.30 in the morning. Carmel Police Department documents obtained by TMZ uh, on the report here. uh, It says, after someone said they had found the Colts owner unconscious on a bathroom floor with a blue skin tone. uh, And more quotes here. When police first arrived on the scene, they say Ursay had been moved to his bed, where he was struggling to breathe and had a weak pulse and constricted pupils. Police say in the docs an attempt to wake him with the sternum rub was unsuccessful. They added, though, that after administering one dosage of Narcan, a drug commonly used to revive people in opiate uh, overdose situations, he responded slightly. Cops say they were prepared to attach an AED to Urse, but paramedics arrived and took over life-saving efforts. Ursay was eventually transported to a nearby hospital uh, via an ambulance. Um, you know, I... I I think you read it, and honestly, a thought that you know crosses my mind pretty early in that. Andy, is addiction is an unrelenting beast, sadly. Um, you know, I think when we had Andrea Kramer on back in the fall, you know, she had that interview with Jim and shared mm-hmm. with us. You know, or I guess Jim shared with her um, an overdose that he had, and, and, and you know, what, 15 trips I think it was to rehab over the course of his life. Um, I, I do want to throw this in there again. This happened on December 8th, is the report. Um, That was a Friday morning, again, early in that Friday morning, 4.30 a.m. On that, Um, Jim Mercer was at the Colts and Steelers game eight days later. So, you know, I I think when people see this news and then see the report last week from the Colts about the severe respiratory illness that Jim Mercer is currently dealing with, and I think a lot of people are trying to, okay, you know, what is the correlation between that and this? For what it's worth, eight days after this reported incident, uh, we did see Ursay in a public setting. Now that's the last time me personally right. has seen him. Um,
1: but if you are not following the story, you think this happened, and you are like, okay, he hasn't been around it, that it's connected
5: to correct. the, so the, the I, statement I just last week. I want to provide a little bit of context around that. Um, you know, that was a home game for the Colts. The Colts and Steelers playing on that Saturday afternoon, or Saturday game, evening. Yeah. Uh, so we did see Jim Ursay then. But he's a troubled man. Um, certainly, you know, a lot of demons that that he has. Unfortunately, sounds like still fighting with this. Um, We'll await any other or additional info from the Colts on that. But I wanted to make sure that we shared that here on this Wednesday morning.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, it's a sad story. Honestly, that's one of the first stories I saw when I opened the old phone this morning was uh, the TMZ report like 2 a.m. It was 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. So we'll dive into that. Uh, Shams. Uh, has a piece on The Athletic about the Pacers moving in on Pascal Siakam. We can dive into that, but Joe Wright's going to join us, and we'll keep the Indiana-Purdue chatter going all day. Just a
5: uh, just a, a wild game and quite the performance last night from Matt Painter and company. Much easier travel day, I think, for everybody. I'll yes. speak for myself on the commute in this morning. I have some donut County still with some delays, but for the most part, uh, much, much better from a commute standpoint here on this Wednesday That still doesn't morning. mean drive like an ass.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. I,
5: I don't think it ever does. But, yes, uh, thank you, Mark, for that. Uh, thank you for spending this Wednesday morning with us. It's the wake-up call.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta.
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by the Barbasol Horizon League Basketball Championships. March starts here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, March 11th and 12th.
1: All right, let's dive into it on your morning check down. Uh, Purdue all over Indiana last night, 87-66 there in Bloomington. The Boilermakers improved to 16-2. and Indiana drops now down to 12-6 and on the season. Post-game, Matt Painter on the road win in a hostile environment.
6: Outside of winning at Maryland, we haven't really played that well on the road. True road games is just our fourth game. Um, so, we, you know, we needed a game like this. We, we needed to play better. We needed to shoot better. Um, but we also needed to give ourselves a chance and not turn the ball over. And I thought, you you know, if you look at the box score, we gave ourselves a chance. But when you get into these rivalry games, anything can go. So, like, when they, you know, quickly cut our lead by ten points, and it's exactly what you're thinking, right? I um, you know you guys have never stood up there and coached a game, but it's, uh, you know, you you really think at that time, like, it's at four possessions, five possessions, you know, it can happen. You, you, know, you But, yeah, you got to keep your poise and keep your patience and uh, just keep doing what, you know, you did to get in that position.
1: Yeah, 60-51, 58-49. They got it close, to Indiana could not win. Again, 87-66, your final Purdue winners there. Mike Woodson on the losing side. Talked post-game offensive struggles for his Hoosiers.
6: Well, I thought the first half we got some good looks. Uh, You know, I came in and we charted. There were about seven, eight wide open shots that we just, we didn't make. And, you know, those are empty possessions that you leave on the table and you come down and... Either we fouled or, or they scored. I mean, it was we just it wasn't a good combination for us the way we were playing, and you know, so we got to move forward and get ready for Wisconsin now and see where we go from here.
5: Zach Eady, thirty-three and fourteen and thirty-six minutes. Fletcher Lawyer, huge, particularly in the first half as Purdue built that lead. And I'm always curious, Andy, how the new guys, how the transfers, how the non. State of Indiana, guys, will react to their first road environment in this rivalry. How about Lance Jones early on for Purdue? Uh, 17 points. You think Indiana could use a guard out of the portal like Lance Jones? Uh, Great, great last night. They could use any guard out of the portal right now. Just any of them. Take any of them. They they could. Uh, Butler losers last night, 85-71. They got down big to Xavier early. Actually came back and took the lead before uh, Xavier pulled away the rest of the way. All right, Pacers chatter later today. Probably going to focus a lot on that Pascal Siakam trade report. I've got some heavy skepticism around it. Um, Part of me wants to say uh, Kevin Pritchard has been pretty darn good with this rebuild. Just trust him. But, ooh, boy, I don't know if I can go there uh, with that. So we'll share some thoughts coming up, probably a little bit more in the 8 o'clock hour on that. Nothing today for the Pacers in terms of a game. It'll be a back-to-back tomorrow night, Sacramento. Friday, Portland, Rick Carlisle joining us at 9.30. And as Andy mentioned, a long, long injury report to go over with Rick Carlisle. Uh, so he'll join us coming up at 9. Yeah, the Pacers, the
1: walking wounded. Isn't that the right terminology it's to use probably with them? the My longest God. injury report
5: of the season, yeah, no, you it
1: is. think. No. Coming up tomorrow night, especially guys that are playing. But you know, just besides Halliburton, you know, three, four guys that we're going to watch. Matherin with that ankle and everything else. Uh, just a couple different things. The Brown. We were talking about it during the break. The Cleveland Browns emptying out a lot of their offensive coaching staff. Their OC could be gone too. So interesting there uh, with what they were able to piece together with Kevin Stefanski. We'll see what happens there. And then Mike Tomlin telling his players he'll be back next year. That's some news. And then I just wanted to go back quickly uh, to college basketball. Uh, another other night where top 25s had, you know, some issues. Kansas State beating number 9 Baylor Penn State, 87-83 over number 11. Wisconsin, New Mexico over Utah State. Cincinnati beat TCU. BYU over Iowa State. So last night, uh, I said the walking wounded. Boy, another
5: bloody night for top 25 teams. Uh, One NFL note, Jim Harbaugh with the Atlanta Falcons on an interview. So, so far, the Falcons swinging for the fences, to say the least. Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh, two of their interview candidates so What if Harbaugh far. went there?
1: We've been talking Chargers and Herbert and the Raiders and everybody else and he ended up with
5: the Atlanta Falcons. And
6: that to me is like <laughs> the most <laughs> difficult
5: quarterback decision. Mm-hmm. Of course it's, like, it's, it's Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. And it's not like you have, yeah. you know, in New England and Washington, you have the top three picks. Yeah, you don't, you know, you have, don't that. have that. They almost made the playoffs. In Atlanta. Alright, on the other side, Joe Wrights Recapping a little Colts season. and Oh boy. Uh, I think he'll want to talk a little basketball as well
1: little incubus from Mark Dykton. I like that on a Wednesday. Hanging out with you. Rick Carlisle going to join us at 930. Joe Wright's going to join us here in just a second. Couple uh, different reminders. We'll, we'll stay with the Indiana-Purdue action from last night. We'll keep diving into that. What did both coaches say? Uh, we'll do that. Again, Rick Carlisle joining us. The Pascal Siakam rumors are out there with the Pacers and the Raptors. Definitely something uh, that we'll be watching over the next, what, days, weeks uh, we shall see. But let's, let's put a bow Continue to put that bow uh, on a cult season. We'll do so with Joe Wrights here. And, uh, you know, Kevin whispered in my ear, Joe, and thanks for joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline that, oh, Joe will want to talk about the game last night. He will. Between yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Purdue and Indiana. He's got a little boiler yeah, fandom, man. I, I know he does. So, Joe, I'm sure you stayed up to watch that game. What did you think?
4: Yeah. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Andy, Kevin, great to be with you. I think it's the greatest rivalry in college basketball. And, if you're waking up this morning, you're either really, really happy or you're really, really downtrodden. And I just thought Purdue just came out, and I mean, they really just, you know, they just punched early and they punched often. And, and I thought Edie was phenomenal. Like a lot of people, I mean, when your seven-four guy is diving on the floor with three minutes to go in the game when you're up by twenty, I mean, I thought that kind of epitomized just Purdue that they really wanted. And uh, you know, it was. IU you made a little run there and and hit a bunch of threes, but like we always used to say, it's easy to shoot when you're down 20, right? And early on in the game, Purdue was giving them some looks, and and IU wasn't knocking them down. So yeah, it was a a good game, a lot of hoops. I mean, with Carlisle, are we gonna? Are you just guys gonna ask him and find out? Right away, if Siakam's coming here to uh, the Pacers, or what are we gonna do here?
5: Yeah, cool. yeah it's six thirty Pacific time. He's joining us, Joe. I'm afraid if we lead with that, he might just hang up, and we might just be without a segment there for the next ten minutes. I, I do want to ask you one more on last night, and I, I don't know. I know you're not seven four, obviously, but you know you were more of a big man, and I was hoping you could speak to this, just like the skill level. Of Zach Eady, like I think it's such a lazy argument when I hear, "Well, he's seven four. What do you expect?" But I just think he's incredibly skilled. Whether it's his touch, his catching ability, hell, his stamina—I mean, all of those things. To me, Joe, like I, I, I don't know. I feel like, be, oh, he's tall, so of course he's good. Can you speak to like watching him and, and just maybe his skill level for a big guy?
4: For sure. The first thing I think about is his stamina. To be that big, three hundred pounds, seven four, and play. 30 minutes a game, I think he's really improved defensively. But you watched, I mean, IU at times did a good job. They were knocking the ball away. They were surrounded with guys. There's not a lot of 7-4 guys that can get the ball knocked out of their hand, have the focus, bend down, pick it up, finish. You know, he can go right, he can go left. His footwork is just, you know, really, really good. And, um, yeah, he's a unique player. I mean, he's going to be two-time wooden player of the year and I think it'll be really interesting to kind of watch him at the next level and where does he might fit because obviously the traditional Back to the basket, big man isn't uh, prevalent in a ton of NBA teams and franchises, but I think he can play in the league for sure.
1: Yeah, and he's got better. I mean, he came back to school, and I, I think his pick-and-roll oh, defense... Only played basketball for, yeah, what, like well, seven years? I mean, years, Painter talked years? about it. You know, his pick-and-roll defense uh, is much better and everything else. So, uh, quite a game last night. Hoosiers tried to punch back, like you said, Joe, but uh, Purdue was way too much. They were fantastic for about 35 minutes uh, in that game. Joe writes with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, as we transition to the Colts, let me ask you this just to get things going. What was you know, watching this team, what was the most satisfying part of this season for you watching this team? And then on the flip side, what was the biggest frustration, the most frustrating uh, part of this team watching what they did this season?
4: Yeah, great question. I think the most satisfying part is when you look at this season as a whole, I think that, you know, Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, the leaders in that locker room have reestablished a winning culture. I mean, you were nine and eight in a season where uh, nobody thought you were going to be any good and your starting quarterback only played a few games and you were in there with Minshew for most of the season you know Jonathan Taylor misses the first four games you know you, you battle injuries like every team does but I think that winning culture is back in terms of and that's something that I don't feel like they've had that level of accountability and discipline over the last few years and I think Shane has really brought that back and I think you see his offensive prowess and genius, which is awful exciting, especially when you think about getting Richardson back in the fold next year. I thought the most disappointing thing, obviously the game against Houston was really tough because you had the chance to host a home playoff game and and you don't get those opportunities every single day. But I think the most disappointing part for me was, you know, really our team's inability to cover the other team's best receiver. I mean, going to that Houston game, you think they got Nico Collins and they're playing with a bunch of practice squad wide receivers. Nothing against them. I was on the – practice squad for three years myself but we let him go for 200 and you know the week before Adams had two touchdowns and it seemed like we we didn't ever gain plan week to week specific to really try to take away their best option through the air and we let a lot of quarterbacks you know Aiden O'Connell threw for 260 yards against us and uh, we let a lot of quarterbacks just get really really comfortable I think with the way that we played defensively. He's one of the greatest
5: athletes, frankly, this state has ever seen. He is Joe Wrights with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. Joe, this time last year, I think we did kind of a post mortem with you. And obviously, the offensive line was a very early question thrown your way. And I think your response was certainly in more of a negative light than it will be this year. What were your observations in comparing the O line performance from last year to what you saw this season?
4: Yeah, I think they they really really had a good season. I think mean, credit to those guys. Credit to Tony Sperano Jr. He really maximized that group. Um, when you just go down the line, Ryman got better. Now Quentin Nelson's made six straight Pro Bowls, right? But last year he didn't have his best season. He played like an All Pro this year. I, I, there were some games on film when I watched it the next morning that I mean he was he was really special. I thought Ryan Kelly bounced back from a disappointing 2022 year and had a really really solid season. I think Fry's was solid, and then you know Smith was solid when he played. He obviously missed some time with injuries, and, and I think Freeland held up okay. Um, you know, obviously you, you can't expect too much out of a fourth-round rookie, but I really thought the Colts reestablished themselves as the offensive line being the heartbeat of the team. And then when Jonathan Taylor got back, he's just special. I mean, that game he had against Houston, battling the injuries that he had, that shows that even though he's a running back, a position that maybe is devalued a little bit in today's NFL. He can be uniquely special, and I'm awful excited you pair him with Richardson, and it's a completely different story because now you got to account for the 12th man, the running game, and uh, I just think it'll be really fun to watch Jane and Jim Bob scheme up offensively next year, and, and I think one thing we do need offensively is more explosive plays in the pass game, in the run game, but I think Richardson's unique talent set paired with Jonathan Taylor uh, should get that done. What would be your biggest need? Maybe one on each side of the ball heading into the offseason. Yeah, I would say tight end. I just think our tight ends have kind of been a revolving door. And and you look around the league, Kevin, and, and you see these guys. I mean, Buffalo, you know, Kincaid, you know, he's got a touchdown in the playoffs. I think tight end is such a uh, a position where you can get an advantage because the, the tight ends now, let's be honest, they're, they're glorified wide receivers and they're too quick to have a safety or a linebacker cover them. So I think tight end offensively, I think in – Defensive side, I would look at the secondary, too. I do like our young corners. I like Brents. I like Jones. They're physical. They're long. Kenny Moore had a really good season. But I do think we need some more help back there in the secondary
1: joe writes with us here on the fan on this wednesday talking to some colts on the pay less liquors hotline let's stay there with the defense and the secondary boy boy joe it's been a big conversation since the end of the season that secondary even in ballard's postseason press conference i don't want to say which side but what what's your opinion how do you come down on the gus bradley conversation
4: yeah it's interesting i just think that it, 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 to me, the, the best defenses we played were always game plan specific. And I think you have to do that in today's NFL where it can't just be, hey, we're just going to do what we do and execute it really good. You're playing teams that have unique players, and NFL quarterbacks are just so, so accurate now. And if you let quarterbacks sit back there and get comfortable and get in a rhythm and never heat them up or take some things away, I mean guys will throw you know 65, 70, 80, 85% accuracy. and I think we did that too much last year. Um, as a defense. So I'll be interested to see kind of where we go. Uh, I do think our linebacking core is excellent. And, and let's talk about the pass rush. I, I give a lot of credit to Chris Ballard. Samson Ebucom, he's a lot better than I thought he was when we signed him. And we had some games, fellas, that reminded me of the good old days with Freeney and Mathis where we're up in the fourth quarter and our D-line closed the game. And when you think about Ebucom, you think about Dio really came on, obviously Buckner inside, Quiddy on the other side, Tyquan Lewis – I like where our defensive line's going. I do think another area need is we got to have a backup run stuffer because when Grover Stewart would come out of the game, teams would just run right up the middle. It would be four or five yards every time. So that's another need that I think we got to get a big guy in there that when Grover's got to take a break, we're able to stop the run inside.
5: He is Joe Wright. Of course, you hear him during the season. Colts Roundtable Live, really, really good listen with Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, and Joe. And then obviously on the Colts pregame show, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I was hoping to go back to a point, Joe, that you mentioned there and talking about your playing days and getting ready for opposing defenses and maybe expand on that. I guess what defense, whether it's stylistically, philosophically, however you want to take it, what defenses maybe struck fear in you on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in terms of preparation? Like what did you not want to see in preparing for a defense?
4: Well, I, I didn't want to see good pass rushers on the other side, but <laughs> you know, unfortunately, everybody had them so Fair I enough. Think for me it, it was more of a uh, a player specific, but I did think that teams that were really multiple and complex from a blitz perspective, they were just hard to prepare for because you think you, you might have 40, 50 plays that you're going to dial up. and if this team's blitzing you you know 10, 20, you know, all these different kinds of blitz packages, you got to be able every situation to say, okay, if they run this blitz, And we got this play on what's the contingency and what's the call. And uh, again, I think that, you know, quarterbacks now are just so good offensively. And, you know, I just think they can get in a rhythm really early and really often. So I'm, I'm more of a fan of a team that would blitz more than would blitz less, especially in today's modern NFL.
1: Joe writes with us here on The Fan. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this, you know, uh, whether it be Ballard or Steichen or, you know, I know I know Zaire Franklin, I think even Jonathan Taylor after the season, all, you know, everyone involved with the Colts has, has said, hey, we feel like we're on the cusp of something, right? Like, this season didn't end with us, you know, winning the South, we didn't go to the postseason, but boy, we turned things around. You talked about it a couple minutes ago, Joe, uh, the winning culture that is now back in the building. When you're a team on the cusp though I think next year fans are going to expect even more how do they get over the hump if you will I mean again free agency you're gonna add the draft although next year the schedule is gonna be more difficult right you're not gonna get all these backup quarterbacks you would imagine that you're playing week in and week out do you feel like they're on the cusp and then how do you kind of get over that hump if you're a team right now that's trying to do that and the Colts are one of those teams trying to do that
4: yeah, agree. I think you got to be able to close games. When you look back at our season, you know, the Rams game at home, the Browns game at home. I know there were some bad calls, but you know, that's just part of the, that's part of the NFL. You know, obviously Houston, the last game of the season, we had so many games. We we're right there in the fourth quarter and fellas, it's crazy. 70% of games last year in the NFL came down to a one score game. And so that's the reality of the NFL. And when I'm talking about closing games, it's Being at your best when your best is needed, executing in the fourth quarter, not turning the football over, not having a penalty, and just making special, unique plays. I think we need to continue to get those game breaker guys, third down, red zone that can just make special plays. But I do think that you have a great foundation to build on. And when you think about nine and eight this year, you know, it reminds me a little bit of 2012 when, you know, and obviously the quarterback was different um and Andrew had a phenomenal season and and Richardson just unfortunately got an incomplete because of injuries but you know nobody thought we were going to be good and we won 11 games and went to the playoffs and that kind of set the foundation for a really good run here in Indy I think we kind of have the same thing but obviously we're going to be patient a little bit with Richardson because think it's not going to be his rookie year he's played in the NFL he's been around from everything I've heard he's been a great student of the game and really been locked in all these meetings but the reality is he's only played a few games so it's not going to be a a rookie year for him, but it's not going to be a true second year like maybe, you know, C.J. Stroud and and Bryce Young had. So there there probably will be a little bit of ups and downs from Richardson, but the excitement and the explosive plays that he's going to bring is needed for this team and, uh, you know, obviously fired up for, for next year already.
5: Joe, we started with basketball. We will end with basketball. I know you were extremely pleased on Saturday night to see the Golden Eagles of Garen flock their way to West or East 56th Street, I should say, and Bobby Allen and Ryan Davis with a big upset win over my Cathedral Fighting Irish. So shout out to two legends there and congrats to your Golden Eagles. And I believe, was that Brian Cardinal's son on the game winning bucket?
4: Did I see that? Yeah, Coach Allen drew up a gem in the huddle out-of-bounds play, and Bryson Cardinal had a uh, a huge bucket. But I was wondering if you were going to go there, Kevin. Obviously, <laughs> Cathedral undefeated, great program. It was a great high school basketball game. We just uh, had one more point than they did. So, yeah, it's been fun. And a uh, big game for the Golden Eagles Friday night because we're at Burbuff, and uh, the Braves, they're awful good this year too. So it uh, continues on here in the Circle City
5: conference it was a very politically correct celebration by you of that victory um from saturday <laughs> night uh brian cardinal by the way terrific with jake and uh jimmy yesterday from noon to three joe always great hearing your voice man hope the fam is doing well hope jill is doing well and uh we'll certainly catch up later in the offseason
4: all right fellas appreciate you having me on
5: That is Joe Wrights right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Yeah, Brian Cardinal. The janitor. uh, Some real fun stories (laughs) yesterday (laughs) with Jake and Jimmy. If you guys missed it. It It was great. I heard it. uh, Bruce Weber and Tom Crean we had on at the 9 o'clock hour. And, you know, selfishly, obviously I'm biased, but I think really both those interviews, you know, not super time sensitive either. You know, I I feel like if, you know, listeners want to go back and, and catch those up on the podcast uh, you'll find you know, different takeaways that aren't just relative to the last night. Although when Tom Green was kind of mapping out, Andy, how he looked at Indiana, uh, certainly I think you could point to some things, probably more defensively than offensively. Uh, some issues that showed up again last night for the Hoosiers. Yeah,
1: and Tom Green also. You ask him at the end, does he want to coach again? I went back and I listened to that answer, and he 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 said, not basically, he said, he said verbatim, "I want to go somewhere where basketball matters." Remember the last place he was at was a little school called Georgia, uh, who has a pretty good football program, <laughs> but doesn't do too much uh, on the
5: basketball side. Uh, I'm He's cl- a great answer about NIL as well. Oh yeah, uh, in relation to that to that question. Oh
1: yeah, so uh, we'll dive back into eight o'clock hour is going to be a ton of IU. Purdue will stay with the Jim Ursay story. Obviously, Pascal Siakam, uh, you, you're you're down on that can potential we, move with the Pacers.
5: Okay,
6: so, yeah, sure. We got a minute here. So
5: the report is this, and this is from The Athletic. Um, you know, talk about timing last night during the IU game. It's like, not now. Uh, okay, this is from Sham Sharnia of The Athletic. The Pacers and Raptors actively engaged in trade talks centered around two-time All-Star forward Pascal Siakam. That would send him to Indiana for a package that includes Bruce Brown Jr., other salaries, and three first-round draft picks. The Raptors have engaged in discussions with several teams. um, I think they mentioned the Kings, the Warriors, the Mavs as well, um, about a Siakam deal, but the conversations with the Pacers have gained steam in recent days. Sources briefed on the talks between the two teams say there have been several back-and-forth proposals made, while the two sides have been described as being far along in the process. According to sources, they've yet to finalize or agree on a deal. Okay, so what's your initial reaction? Because we feel the same
1: about Siakam. We like the player, doesn't help on defense, good offensive player, better than what you've had at that position, no doubt, but... You know, if the if the rumors slash murmurings are true that he's not giving teams assurances that he's going to sign long term Then you can't do the deal, then, then period. You, then to me, it's not even about the players. It would be about the picks and the egg on your face if he left after a few months and you end up being a
5: sixth seed. If he is not ready to re sign a deal with you, you cannot do the deal. He's a free agent coming up in what, five months? Yeah. So yeah. wouldn't you say to Pascal Siakam's agent, Hey man, uh you want to sign in Indiana? Okay, how about if we not trade away three first-round picks? How about if we not trade away our our best perimeter defender? I, I don't, is that Bruce Brown? I mean, do you talk about helping you yeah, out probably, on the defensive yeah. end of the floor? Certainly one of your better ones. Uh, you would obviously uh, hurt that. Uh, wouldn't you say to Siakam's camp? We'll give you that max, but we'd like to keep some of our assets to help build around Pascal Siakam here. So that, to me... Is my first thought on it. It's a non-starter if he is not going to resign right away and get that extension for you. Then Um I worry a little bit about his age. Uh, you know, he'll turn 30, and you know he typically misses right around double-digit games every season. You know, does that number start to grow into his 30s? Um, I think offensively, he's obviously very gifted, and he fits that positional question of okay, who's your four-man moving forward? But again, on the other end of the floor if you are theoretically trading away one of your best defenders, and I think the key phrase in there is it's not just Bruce Brown. No, it's going to be a couple other guys. Another sure. player sure. of note here, along with the f- three first round picks. Uh, I just have skepticism about it. I, it's not as big of a slam dunk, nor do I look at the Pacers right now, Andy, and think you need to have an incredible amount of urgency with a big swing. You know, I've said all along, I think you have two big swings with the Tyrese Halliburton six year deal. I don't, think I want the first swing to be this.
1: I, I'm not as bothered by... And I know we need to go to break. I, I'm not as bothered by some of the uh, some of the players you would give up. Like, I mean, if you're keeping Jairus Walker and you're keeping Matherin and it's some guys with expiring contracts, Bruce Brown and Obi Top, and I'm just throwing out guys that, you know, we don't know if they're going to be back. Jalen Smith is a, is a very and I like him. I think Jalen Smith has developed uh, into a pretty damn good player. I'm not as worried about them, and I know draft capital, JMV was ranting about draft capital, you know, enough with picks. Like, it's okay to move some of these first-round picks, but if you do all of that. That, and you don't keep the guy, boy, that's a look you're not going to be able no, to recover from. A and, and Toronto's in a spot. I think it was Scott Agnes was on yesterday uh, with the midday guys. You know, the other thing in this... You know, Toronto has been in a situation where they have had guys leave and they haven't got anything from them. You can think of a Kyle Lowry, for instance. You know, Guys have walked. Yeah, Fred and, Van Vliet and, yeah, to yeah, Houston and they, last have, year. and they haven't got anything for him. Good God, if I, if I had on the table Bruce Brown in another expiring contract and two or three
5: first-rounders, if I'm the Raptors, I, I'm doing that, right? Yeah, I and, mean,
1: I don't, that's how I feel, at
5: least. And I know people would counter and say, okay, look, you, your eighth overall pick or whatever Jarris Walker was – can't even get on the floor right now. I'm like, first off, he's 20 years old. Secondly, trading away three first-round picks, it's not about using all three of those first-round picks it's about packaging and them. drafting right. individual guys. It's about what those mean to right. other trades and the flexibility for you. If all of a sudden you get in a position here in the next year or two and you're like, man, we'd love to have an additional first because we really need insert this position or this type of skill set, now that hinders you, and that would be my hesit- hesitancy with it. 8 o'clock hour, tons of Indiana Purdue. The latest on Jim Irsay, Rick Carlisle joins us at
2: 930. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider kisimta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta And check out the details at kisimta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: 8 o'clock hanging out with you, the drivehubler.com studios. KB and Andy hanging out with you. Another couple hours to go. If you miss any of Joe Wright's reminder, you can check it out. The podcast center 107.5, thefan.com. Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, will join us coming up at 9.30. right, let's dive into it. Uh, Indiana, Purdue, we did so for about 20 minutes to open the show, but obviously last night, 87-66, your final Indiana boy. God bless them. They tried to make it close in the second half but Purdue elite in the first half and then God taking,
5: bless them they tried God, to make God it bless close them and they, like <laughs> <laughs> Andy I'm sorry I'm patting like, them on the head God bless them they God tried to God bless them well, they tried to make is that where we are
1: <laughs> that's where we are you've asked me that after every loss is this where we are with IU and I look at you and I say yes this is where we are with Indiana basketball
5: God, how sad is that
1: well you, and by the way Kevin Bone was in attendance last I was. And night and you were in attendance that Good conversation for
5: you. right there just like meeting up with some people on the concourse at halftime, it was like, yeah, you know, hopefully we can cut it to six or eight and make it entertaining. <laughs> make them sweat a little bit. Make Matt Painter sweat. And Just like, a little.
1: You cut, what, did it get to nine? Was that the lowest it, it got? Okay, it got to 60 51 and 58 49. Mbako yeah.
5: had an and one after a missed free throw, or was it Renew? Renew missed the free throws and Mbako got the and one. I, I think, think, I think so, that's what yeah. it was. And, I mean, you literally, I was waiting for the court to be stormed. Like, I mean, the crowd was unbelievable. Incredible. They, Again, they I, were trying, I man. make the analogy in the first hour. They're lifting the car. They're all saying, you get that side. You get that side. Come on. One, two, three. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then Fletcher Lawyer hits a three. And then Zach Edey gets an offensive rebound put back. And then Lance Jones in the corner. I thought one of the most deflating plays was the end of the first half. Painter takes a timeout, you know, as coaches do. They take right. timeout. You know, you use it or lose it. Use there it to, or lose it in right. the first half. And if I'm not mistaken, IU comes out in zone, and I'm like, oh boy, there's a changeup from Mike Woodson. Purdue runs, you know. They, I don't know if they were getting ready for zone in that timeout. They sure as hell looked like they were. Uh, beautiful set. Lance Jones, corner three, swish, at yeah. buzzer. 51-29. What's worse, the 51 or the
1: 29 if you're an Indiana fan?
5: Oh, the 51.
1: <laughs> Everyone yeah. focuses on the offense not being able to make a shot, I mean, but Collins you love 51. I
5: 102 right, listen, on the I'm, road?
1: I'm with you. Well, you picked the game in the 60s oh Ed, 51 God, at 51 at halftime. I,
5: I, again, I laughed at the line. I thought 9.5 was way too much. And, boy, I actually thought IU would compete. I thought they'd show up. I thought they'd give their fans more than just a made three, cuts it to 12, and you act like the watch shot just happened. Uh, And, again, that's no – like, I I love the Indiana crowd. I love the Purdue crowd. I love the passion and the pageantry of what last night was, especially at, like, 6.59. Hell, the first, you know, four minutes was super entertaining and back and forth. But, you know, Purdue is surgical, Andy. Purdue is surgical. And guys that – you know, you would have some question marks. Edie's stat line, incredible. But, you know, Fletcher Lawyer had disappearing acts at critical moments last season. Uh, what do you have, 10 straight at one point there in the first half yesterday to build that lead? And then Lance Jones, a guy that I think anytime new people come into this rivalry, I'm always curious about how will they react? Like, for that last night for Lance Jones, that's different than Northwestern. Yeah. That's different he than He was Nebraska. ready to go last night. And boy, how big was he? early on and you know he's a, just I think he's a difference maker for Purdue I know it might not show up in the stat sheet but it's another ball handler it's a guy that can hit open shots you know last year they they had to play you know Morton 37 minutes a night you know now they don't have to do that uh, and boy, again, could Indiana use a guy like Lance Jones for another guard coming out of the portal? Uh,
1: just quickly before we play this Tom Crean sound from yesterday, our executive producer to Todd Meyer will want us to mention this. You know, when Morton came in the game in the second half, he, he had a big say in stopping the momentum with Trey Galloway. I don't want that just to be lost uh, in everything because you know Galloway comes out, hits a couple shots, and I know it's easier to make and shoot those threes uh, when you're down 20 points, but the they did come, you know, and make it a make it a nine point game because of that. Morn comes in, plays good defense, but you're right. Last year, he was playing consistently. It felt like 20 minutes, 25 minutes plus, and last night just 13 minutes.
5: And another thing, you know, Braden Smith last night is two of 14 by any account. Andy, that is a horrific, horrific night shooting the basketball. I think last year in the two games he was combined. I want to say it was like three of 18, three of 19. But yet, he's on the floor. and what, Do you have his minute total up? I mean, it had to be... North- 36. 36. Yeah, 36 minutes, minutes. Okay. So, he is 2 of 14. You look at 36 minutes and see 2 of 14, you think, oh my god, how in the world or why was he playing that much? Nine assists for Braden Smith last night, and his ability to impact the game in that way of, yes, these shots were not falling at all, but what else can you do for me? And if you look at the flip side, the other point guard matchup, the combination of Xavier Johnson... And Gabe Cups last night for them to have two points, four turnovers, and one assist combined in 41 minutes of basketball. Those two, like it, I, it's just such a joke that this is the guard play that Indiana has accepted, and, and the bets they made in the preseason—they bet on a volatile player coming off a broken foot in Xavier Johnson, and they bet on Trey Galloway having you know a rather wild ascension. Uh, that's what they bet on. And, and, you know, obviously they didn't expect probably Cups to play this much, but, like, he was still viewed as kind of like the third guard. I don't know, maybe C.J. Gunn would fall into that group as well. Um, I get that they had, you know, swung and missed big in the portal – on some of that Boy, but Dalton, there are... Dalton Connect is the one, but again, man. I'm that not dude even saying that. Andy, right. What would Lance Jones no, do for but the... like? I mean, there are right. other answers that can help you out. Look at, and again, I know that lately they haven't played well, but you think some of the Butler portal editions guard wise would help you out? It's not like you need somebody to come in there and give you 19 a game in the backcourt, you just need a little stability back there. And right now it's liability. It's liability if it's Cups, it's liability if it's Xavier Johnson, it's liability if you're saying to Trey Galloway, "Dude, we need 20 from you and we need you to go guard their best guard as well." Like that that's too much to ask of him.
1: That might be a promo right there. It's not stability, it's liability. Did you just think of that? That was pretty good. I did not have that on a t-shirt. Dude, that was really good. Yeah. They need to someone needs to market Show mantra. that.
3: The shop needs to get on that right now.
1: Somebody needs to get on <laughs> yeah. that. The shop, it's not please. stability, it's li- I was like taken back. I didn't hear anything you said uh, after you said that. Yeah, we'll dive into it. Xavier Johnson, uh, a mess last night. Uh, you know, Mike Woodson falling asleep at the wheel, uh, not putting M'Bacco and or Ware back in the game. We can dive into all those things. We wanted to play this. It's about 90 seconds. We had Tom Crean on yesterday in the 930 segment. Again, Tom Crean and Bruce Weber. If you want to go back, some of the stuff is about the game last night, but some of it is, you know, Bruce Weber talking about being a long-time Purdue assistant, playing. Playing up against Bobby Knight, the battle there with Purdue versus Bobby Knight. Uh, so that is up there. And then Tom Crean talked about he's going to coach again in his time at IU and you know the landscape of college basketball and everything else. We did ask him, hey, what does IU need to do? You know, last night to win the game to be in the game. Here's what Crean had to say yesterday:
0: What Indiana has got to be able to do, they've got to be able to get good shots, and and and, and starting with the good shots. Is they're spacing, really, it just has to be better. I mean, their they're, they're spacing, when your spacing is not good, it, it, too many times you take away the obvious pass or the next pass. And I think that is is really something that that is important. I don't think it's a matter as much of who's scoring as much as they're in position to score. Because the ball moves, there's good spacing. I think their guard play, uh, especially at the point guard position, has really got to improve. Uh, and then the thing that Indiana does that they can't do too much of tonight or Purdue will really hurt that is, is Indiana really overhelps on the dribble. And, and I mean, I mean it's, it's up to them how they want to play it. But when you, when you overhelp as much as they do, you're creating not only the long closeout for the defender, but you're giving way more of an open look to a team. And the thing about Purdue that's different than some other Big Ten teams is Purdue really does have good spacing. Their shooters have improved their range. Smith is an improved shooter, but he's an improved range shooter. Lawyer's got good range. Jones has got good range. Um, The young freshmen have got good range. So if you over help on Purdue and they're making shots, it's going to be tough. And and I think you do the best job you can do to keep the ball in front of you. You have your, your double scheme that you have for Edie, and you try to make the game go as much as you can.
5: Uh, again, that was Tom Crean yesterday, 9.30, with us. If you missed it, him and Bruce Weber in the 9 o'clock hour really enjoyed those combos. Again, not just necessarily game-specific to last night. I think both Purdue and IU fans uh, will enjoy those too. Um I also want to go back to what you brought up about Mike Woodson and the decisions to, you know, really, he helped foul out Khalil Ware and McKenzie Mbacco and for the rest of the first half. I, I just, I've never been a fan of the two fouls on the automatic automatic sit till halftime. And again, game flow to me dictates so much yeah, of that. There's nuance to every decision, you including know, that one. If you can weather the storm, okay, but once the storm becomes unweatherable, you you've got to get away from whatever. Uh, here's my coaching blue book 101 and you know, it says in here, two fouls you must sit, you know, for x amount of minutes. Once that lead snowballed, like once it got to 10, It's back to Mbako. It's back to where, And you say to them, all right, give me something out there. Obviously try to defend without fouling. But at the end of the day, those are arguably your two most important players for this specific matchup. I said to you yesterday, I think if I were a Purdue fan, the mckenzie Mbako matchup would really worry me. And what did you see in the first couple minutes of that game? Seven straight by Mbako, right out of the gate. And then after that, he gets those two fouls. And there goes your best scoring option. And then Ware gets two fouls. There goes your tallest guy in trying to defend Edie, And, you know, at moments, Ware, can you pull him away from the basket? You know, that and he made a three later on in the game. Yeah, yeah. Helps out. And, and I just disagreed with that so, so much. Is IU deficient from a talent standpoint in the backcourt? Unquestionably. But I thought your coaching added to your deficiencies last night by basically saying to per- Purdue, all right, we're going to wave a little bit of a white flag here for— 12 minutes of the first half, and as that lead goes from nine to seven to 13 to seven to next thing you know, it's 25-13, and by the time Ware gets back in the game, you're down 19. You think the Indiana Hoosiers are built in 2023, 2024 to come back from 19 down? You think this team that can't throw it in the ocean from three is capable of coming back from 19 down? Yeah, can't shoot free, do free throws either. This yeah, is they can not the New all. York Knicks. Right. Where in the NBA, 19 might seem like eight. In a couple of possessions with a 24, you know, second shot clock and the ability to, you know, attack the three-point line like NBA teams can, I just, I, I could not have disagreed with that uh, anymore. Pretty, Indiana just does not have a quality depth to try and weather that storm like they did. Yeah,
1: and they didn't get much from their bench. You know, Tom Crean in that sound was talking about, hey, you know, Indiana needs to get good shots. You know, I thought in that first half, and this goes back to their biggest bugaboos, their biggest issues. And on that first half, KB, they got some not bad shots. They got some good shots. And that's partially why it's funny or, you know, it's it's embarrassing if you're an IU fan, but it's funny if you're a Purdue fan that Purdue said what? And it caught up with them in the second half, and they had to switch and they had to quit going under screens and they had to put Morton in the game on Galloway and some different things. But they said... Big boys, we're gonna let you shoot threes. You go ahead and you bombs away on those threes, which is one reason why Mbako being out is such a big deal. But they said, You guys go ahead and shoot those threes. And it goes back to the roster construct of Mike Woodson not having a team that's built for two thousand twenty-four. And so you already know you can't shoot, and then, you know, a guy like Ware who just can't get they don't have their margin for error is way too small for a guy like Ware against Edie to get two fouls and then and, you know, you mentioned Mbako gets two fouls. And so now you can't shoot. And now your front line is decimated. And now they can do what they wanted to do. And Boehner talked about it post-game. And that is, okay, now we can focus on Renew. And now he's got no chance because Ware is gone. He's on the bench. And Mbako is on the bench as well. I think it was first half. They were two of ten, was Indiana um, from three, from three-point range. And, you
5: know, you talk about but go down swinging with your horses, and I get the foul trouble hinders you a bit, but it is not the end-all, be-all of you have got—it's you. the automatic benching. They can't come back in the game until two minutes ago in the first half where the lead is 19. You brought up the open looks. There was a play that really stands out to me in the first half, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the opening play of the game was Purdue doubles the post, IU swings around the perimeter beautifully, and Baco wide open three, boom. Like, the exact sort of draw up, Indiana gets into their best shooter, wide open look, again, bang. Few minutes later, he's off the floor. The same exact play kind of unfolds, and now it's Xavier Johnson. Right. In the corner. And Andy, he, first off, he pump fakes the three and dribbles for a pull-up too, which is like, you know, the analytics people are just ready to jump off the balcony <laughs> at Assembly Hall for that decision, and he obviously clanks it. And again, it's one of these things where for Purdue – their assistant coaches have to be beyond thrilled that that's the qual that's the look that they forced IU to get in that situation, and then for the next 12, 14 minutes with Mbako sitting there on the bench, you continue to let those types of guys w- were they clean looks? Sure, but Purdue wants those guys taking those looks. They oh sure, yeah. That was a breakdown to me in letting Mbako get the first look of the game, but they'll let Xavier Johnson. Th- that's why it's funny. That's that why, why it's funny and
1: embarrassing. Purdue's like Purdue says. We want you to take these these 3s. And in today's basketball, oh, you're going to give us a great look from three. Thank you. Yeah. That is one of the best shots you can give my team in basketball unless you're unless you're Indiana. I'll go back quickly to Xavier Johnson. So much, and I said this to begin the show, KB, so much of this season was predicated on on Xavier Johnson. Whether you like it or not, Indiana fans don't like it. I understand. And at the time, you, you, you may not have liked it or you may have said, well, yeah, but, you know, he's a solid player. He can create his own yada yada. But, you know, the the reason it was quote unquote okay or or at least not hey um, uh, we're gonna be panicked about the backcourt was because you were bringing back Xavier Johnson, and for him to give you a zero, again, if you're Indiana, no team can do this, but especially them, when M'Bacco has the two fouls, when Ware has the two fouls, when Xavier Johnson uh, is giving you nothing, Gabe Cups couldn't play in that game last night, right? There's going to be games that Gabe Cups can play in and have success in. Last night was was one of those, and Indiana C is is finished and I mean to me it was finished before this I'm not surprised they'll go to Purdue uh, they'll lose again they'll lose by double figures Uh, you know listen Wisconsin just lost to Penn State but I mean these back-to-back games at Wisconsin at Illinois you know I may sound stupid I don't know how Indiana wins I mean they need to win one of those I just can't even believe that they will and what will be the conversation after the season, if this is a team that is, you know, an NIT NIT team, if they even want to play in the NIT, I do not know. Uh in Purdue last night, I said this as well. You know, the negative with Purdue is that what happened, you know, in the second half where, you know, Indiana outscored them in the second half and Indiana made the run. The silver lining to it though is Purdue got the big lead and in a hostile road environment The other team tried to fight back. They got it within 10. You get the you were there, KB. You get the standing ovations and everything else. And you kind of have to recharge yourself. You have to refocus. You have to make changes. In the first half, everything was going right. Now things aren't going right. We have a, we have some issues here, and on the fly, obviously a veteran team, they did that. So probably in the back of his mind, Matt Painter's like, okay, if we are ahead by twenty-five all night, but when it got close, his team had a little adversity. Boom, there they go. They refocus and they take that lead. It's nine, then it's fifteen, then it's twenty. Then there's three minutes to go, and
5: Kevin Bowen's on his way to his vehicle. Well, and the other thing that stands out to me, Andy, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I ever got to a point where Painter had to take a timeout.
1: I okay, off the top of my
5: head, I don't I don't believe so. I believe he let them play through it for the most part. You know, in those environments, you know, for your on-court guys to be able to kind of get through that and, and handle it and again, I never got to maybe two possessions and you know, if you're a Purdue fan, you also walk away from that and think, "Man, we just scored 80. What what was the final? 87-66? Is that the final?" Yeah. Yeah. Score 87 and your second-best score is 2 of 14. <laughs> like, you, you still walk away from last night and think, damn, there's more in here. Well, oh, they're it, lucky it, Braden Smith every, missed every four-footer. It, 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 KB, sure, missed you know, every single one of lawyer's them. Lawyer's not going to shoot it that well every night, and whatever. Maybe Lance Jones is not going to have that same sort of night. But you know, for Purdue to get that on the road, um, and, and as last night unfolded, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, thinking, "Oh boy, tomorrow's show has turned into quite the busy show." Uh, the Pascal Siakam, his storyline you know, comes out, I think, you know, <laughs> right around halftime or in the second half. So I'm trying to kind of monitor some of that, um, and so we'll continue to touch on that throughout the show here. Um, and then for those that missed it, this came out in the wee hours of the morning, and I know there hasn't been a lot of, you know, public comments or concrete information. Uh, rumors have been abound though in regards to the health. Of Jim Irsay. Uh We saw the Colts put out a statement, uh, was it last week, about 10 days ago at this yeah, point? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Severe respiratory illness was the phrase that the Colts used uh, in, in that statement in regards to Jim Irsay. Chris Ballard uh, used the word stable in describing Jim Irsay's health uh, last Thursday at his press conference. Uh, but this last night, again in the wee hours of the morning, via TMZ with documents uh, from the Carmel Police Department uh, addresses a, a supposed overdose from Ursay dating back to uh, 4 30 a.m. on December 8th. Uh, I'll, I'll read some of the report here. Again, this is from TMZ via the Carmel Police Department. Uh, I quote Jim Ursay was found laying in his bed, unresponsive, cold to the touch, and gasping for air during a suspected overdose on December 8th. Carmel Police Department documents obtained by TMZ show cops were dispatched to Ursay's Carmel residence around 4 30 a.m. on the 8th of December. After someone said they had found the Colts owner unconscious on a bathroom floor with a blue skin tone, when police first arrived on the scene, they said Urse had been moved to his bed where he was struggling to breathe, had a weak pulse and constricted pupils. Uh, Police say in the uh, docs, an attempt to wake him with a sternum rub was unsuccessful. They added, though, that after administering one dosage of Narcan, a drug commonly used to revive people in opiate overdose situations, he responded slightly. Uh, cops say they were prepared to attach an AED to Ursay, but paramedics arrived and took over life-saving efforts. Ursay was eventually transported to a hospital via an ambulance. Um, certainly, Andy, I'll echo what I said in the opening hour. Um, addiction is an unrelenting beast. Sadly, um, you know thoughts with obviously Jim Ursay and you know his ability to uh, try and overcome this, cope with it, uh, the help that he needs. Uh, certainly his health and his daughters and his entire family. You think about a little context to provide around that. Cause I think a lot of people probably see this, hear this information and think immediately to the Colts and the latest update they gave again, about seven to 10 days ago on Ursae. This report happened again in the wee hours of December 8th. That was a Friday morning. He was at the Steelers game at inside of Lucas Oil stadium, eight days later. So, you know, in terms of when have we last seen him publicly? That's it. To provide a little context around right. it. If you look at the date of this, he was in public eight days later. Again, Colts postgame locker room uh, in that win over the Steelers there. Certainly, we remember with our conversation with Andrea Kramer back in the fall. Um, you know, Jim Merce revealing to her that he did suffer an overdose uh, prior to that. Again, uh, that was what, November-ish, I think we had Andrea Kramer on. So that doesn't necessarily address this specific event. But, you know, he told Kramer, you've been to rehab over a dozen times, uh, those sorts of things. TMZ did say they reached out to Ursa, but no word back yet. Uh, And again, nothing more from the Colts outside of their press release from last week. Uh, He is is a troubled man,
1: right? When it comes to this, you mentioned the demons and addiction and everything else. Uh, He is a troubled man when it comes to this. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know... I don't know really what else to say, which is not good for Sports Talk Radio, Kevin. What else do you say about it? I mean, this is something that he has fought his entire life. And you see here in his 60s, the shape he is in, seemingly he is still fighting this. And, you know, it's the first thing I saw this morning. You wake up and you see, what, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, TMZ, you know, has this sort of information, the police reports and everything else. It's just... Um, it's scary. It's sad, and this is something that Jim Ursay has just had to fight. And you know the fight's never over. He has no, said that. No, you know, no, no. he said that with Andrea Kramer. People around him have said that, and we understand that with addiction. But uh, uh, you can have all the money in the world, but sometimes demons are there. And obviously, I mean, you feel for him. It is interesting. You mention so many people are going to take the Colts statement. Uh, from a week ten days ago, and they're going to combine it with this. Everybody's going to do that. It is interesting, or not interesting? It's not the word. It is worth mentioning, though. Um, after this incident, whatever happened here with this incident, he was at the Steeler game. You mentioned that. I Eight mean, that is later, that uh-huh. is key for people to know. Um, you know, and now obviously the illness that he has, and boy, Chris Ballard was very brief in his statements last week on Jim Irsay. You could tell. You know, he sat there for 53 three minutes and talked about everything, but his Jim say quote was about five seconds. Uh, so obviously people in the organization know that Jim continues to fight. There's no
5: doubt about it. You know, I get this question a lot, and it's even a question I think I threw to Bob Kravitz back several months ago. And, you know, I, I said to Bob, when you look at our market and you think about, you know, Roger Penske in the Speedway, Herb Simon with the Pacers, Jim Mercer with the Colts, I think you're always kind of curious about, Okay, you know, what does that next generation look like? Or what, you know, succession plan? We had a, Mark, we had a YouTube commenter, right? Kind of asked uh-huh. a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I wasn't,
3: wasn't trying to be morbid, it was just sure. like out of curiosity, what's the succession plan if Ursay passes on? Yeah,
5: and again, Jim Ursay, 64 years old, obviously has battled a ton in his life. Uh, I, I, I think the daughters are heavily involved and have been heavily involved. Um, I think a lot of people that you know have seen any kind of sideline shots during games or even been out to training camp practice, they see Carly, or say the oldest of the three daughters, uh, with a very heavy, heavy presence on-site, daily. Again, not just on-site, think business side, Andy. Football side, on-site, you know, certainly uh, wanting to continue to learn and, and grow and, and be as accustomed as she needs to be, I guess, on that side of the building as well. Um, The middle daughter, Casey, probably not as involved uh, with the organization. And then Kaylin, uh, I I would say, probably has been one of the more vocal uh, with the kicking the stigma Mm -hmm. cause. Um, You see her kind of front and center a lot with that. I have always been extremely impressed by Kaylin Ursay uh, or Kaylin Jackson. Um, But those are the three daughters. Again, Carly, Casey, and Kaylin. Again, I would say the oldest and the youngest probably have the most, you know, in organization responsibility. And Carly is one that you see. Again, on the sidelines, at practice. I, I can't think of many practices this year, Andy, where I was at that she was not there during the open media availability. So um, it's a question that I get a lot, uh, and, and so I did want to share that with our listeners. And, and again, um, just thoughts with Jim saying, and frankly, anyone battling addiction. It is an unrelenting beast. Uh and it, it, it has no sorts of restrictions, it's no scary, matter the it's amount of money stuff. you make. It's scary. Uh, those sorts of things. It does not discriminate. Uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, th- that's those are the words I was looking for there. So uh, if there's anything from the Colts, anything more to add, we'll share that with you here on this Wednesday morning again Rick Carlisle going to join us coming up here in about an hour we'll continue to kind of balance the IU Purdue discussion from last night along with that Pascal Siakam rumor that came out during the and I guess it's more than a rumor I think Andy for it to get to kind of the publication point it got to last night with the amount of detail in there there's some smoke behind it so we'll continue to touch on that as well before any of that let's go to a morning check down <laughs>
0: the Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by the Barbasol Horizon League Basketball Championships. March starts here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, March 11th and 12th.
1: All right, big picture stuff. We played a lot of that sound. Let's get to some of the things we've talked about in the last 30 minutes or so. Purdue winners last night, of course, in Assembly Hall, 87-66. On the Purdue side, one guy we've talked about, the good and bad, Braden Smith. Nine assists, played 36 minutes, really controlled the game. Uh, Thank God I didn't have the over in his points, KB, because he missed every single three foot. He missed every single three footer last night. Uh, here's head coach Matt Painter on his point guard.
6: Yeah, Braden's a good player. He's competitive. He's got poise. He sees the floor. Um, you know, takes the coaching. Understands like what they're trying to do. What they're trying to take away. Um, you know, has a good feel for where Zach is so what Zach's trying to do. You got to give him time. Um, sometimes they get back in there, depending on how they're guarding it, but now, you know, outside of just his finishes, like you know, we just got to do a better job of working with him on some of his speed dribble finishes because he's good. He's good at that. And tonight, it just didn't fall for him. But you know, he, you know, he was in control of the game. He had the ball in his hands more than anybody on that court, and uh, he was definitely in control.
1: Yeah. So that's the Braden Smith stuff. Again, it would be nitpicking. He still had a fine game and uh, Purdue again, 87, 66. Now on the Indiana side, one thing we've talked about in where they were out and then you're down 18 when you put them back in the game with the foul trouble with two fourteen there in the first half. Here's Mike Woodson on keeping Mbako on the bench, perhaps too long.
6: I brought him back, I think around the two, three minute mark of the, right before the half, um, and when I think back to it, I probably should have bought him back a lot sooner, but I didn't.
1: Yeah, you didn't. Uh, up next for IU, a lot of nodding <laughs> of
5: heads at that answer.
6: To Wisconsin
1: say the least. is up next for them at Iowa, coming up on uh, what looks like Saturday for Purdue eighty seven
5: sixty six. Andy, that is the biggest win for Purdue since two thousand three, and the biggest uh, over Indiana, and the biggest win in Bloomington for Purdue since 19. 19- four You scoffed
3: at the nine and a half point. I did. Spread. I what do you think wrong. it's going to be in Mackey?
5: Dead wrong. Uh, <laughs> so what? Penn State was 18 and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that on Something Saturday? Like that. Yep. Uh, find a happy medium between those two.
1: So th- yeah. maybe 13-and-a-half, some, something like that. Uh, I mean, so here's what Indiana has, Wisconsin, then Illinois, and then they have Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State. Potentially, you know, they could win one or two of those, you know, but there, you know, there's a – What is the date for that second game? It's a okay, Saturday and that's night, com- right? And that's coming up after. It's, uh, it's February 10th. February the 10th, which is a Saturday night. Yeah, 8 o'clock. Uh, is that a peacocker no, as it's well? it's Fox. Ah, it's the no, Fox that's probably one. A Gus. That's probably a little Gus Johnson. So there's five games here. I Passion. mean, there, there's a great chance Indiana – I mean, to the best is 14-9. and That's the very best.
5: Uh, That would be two and three the next five games before they go into Mackey. I saw last night, uh, if you want to look at the Ken Palm, the analytical rankings, a lot of people uh, point to for college basketball. I believe Indiana's the second worst Big Ten team right now. And again, so much of that is get away from the record and just look at the resume. Uh, It is one of the uglier looking resumes at this point of the season for where you kind of thought you would be, or hope, I guess you would be, entering the year. Butler losers last night in Cincinnati, 85-71. They did erase a 19-point deficit against Xavier, but uh, X went on another run there late in that game to beat Butler. How so, sweaty was Sean uh, Miller? Because I didn't see much
1: of that game at all. How sweaty was he at the end? They
5: the wins together there. Yes, I, I, a happy sweat, I guess, for Sean Miller there. <laughs> Not been many of those for this uh, Xavier team this season, but they beat Butler last night. Again, Butler's got to get... Uh, string really several games together if they want to sniff getting back near that bubble. All right, Pacers-wise, back to practice, I guess, today. Uh, back-to-back coming up tomorrow and Friday, Sacramento and Portland. Did you see Tyrese Halliburton was on the broadcast last night of Iowa State at BYU?
1: I saw that. Oh, I saw him taking some pictures. I didn't know he was on the actual broadcast. How about I guess that? I have to get used to that being a Big okay. 12 game. Yeah, well, you better. And then in 10 years, it'll be, it'll be another conference. Someone
5: tweeted that Halliburton had mentioned maybe his return could be a little bit sooner. I didn't find any of that audio or see any video on that. We'll ask where Carlisle certainly coming up in about an hour uh, where we're at with Halliburton. We are a little over a week into uh, what was thought to be, again, a two-week approximate reevaluation. Uh, but, again, I think the thought was he would miss this entire West Coast trip. But again, tomorrow night Sacramento tomorrow portland sunday phoenix and then back home coming up in 6 days but uh it's a long injury list for the pacers here coming up for tomorrow night so we'll throw some of those questions at Rick Carlisle here in a bit
1: yeah, I mean, just just quickly, uh, Mike Tomlin expected to be back in Pittsburgh, and the Browns are clearing house. So a lot of their offensive coaches are not going to be brought back. And then, I don't know, I just find this funny. The Atlanta Falcons have interviewed Jim Harbaugh. So they've interviewed Harbaugh and Belichick, and now I need them to end up with, you know, Pat Shermer. <laughs> Pat Shermer. <laughs> I don't know why. I just brought up a coach that wouldn't get people all fired up. Uh, but they have interviewed now, I have the Atlanta Falcons, Jim Harbaugh, uh, and Bill Belichick. Jim Mora Jr. coming Jim to town. Jim Mora Jr. is coming back. I don't even know. Are you seeing the XFL? Where are he you at?
5: surprised there is apparently like mutual interest from Belichick and Harbaugh with this specific job? Because I don't think if we ranked them 1 to 7, 1 to 8, how many there were, I guess, at the beginning of it, I don't know if we would have put Atlanta high. No, one I'll high t- and
1: no one I'll tell you why. The C word, control. Don't you feel like... With because that, they have a GM in place. They, they do, but, Fontenot, I, right? but don't you feel like there would be more control? I mean, Atlanta wa- I mean, Arthur Smith wants to win so bad, doesn't he? Doesn't he? I mean, so bad. Is that the owner's name? The Home Depot guy, help Arthur me. Arthur Blank, Arthur right? Blank, Arthur, Arthur Smith, Smith is who, is who he fired. fired. Yeah, yeah, that's who got with fired. The mustache. With the when well, then he shaved it off, and then he got mad at Dennis Allen. <laughs> he lost all his that. superpowers. That that's when when the worst loss. That's, that's the loss that kills you if you're a Colts fan.
3: Arthur Blank Is, always looks like an oil baron from like a movie. He's a Home Depot baron. Every time
1: you go there and you buy some, you know, a two by four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you buy, yes. You buy yes. There. No
3: cedar wood for you, <laughs> if sir. You would have beat Atlanta. <laughs> you would have gotten in, right? That's
1: the one, man. I know Cincinnati and they had a backup quarterback, but Cincinnati's got dudes all over yeah, I think it. I Atlanta don't have to dudes in the final uh, I, Just one thing I want to tease. After the break, two quotes coming
5: from last night that Purdue fans will love. How does that sound? I cannot wait for that. Uh, coming up, we'll do that. A little Pacers Pascal Siakam chatter as well.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta, Ofatumab 20-milligram injection,
1: Carlisle going to join us coming up at 9.30. Pacers head coach. Uh, We'll talk with him. uh, Boy, they're the walking wounded right now. uh, Are the Pacers? A little time off. Sacramento coming up next for them. I teased before the break, Kevin Bowen. You ready for this? I teased before the break just two quotes coming from last night's game between Purdue and Indiana. The first one being um, from your boy Lance Jones, okay, who had, what, 17 points? I thought uh, he was outstanding. Yeah first, half, yeah, first half hitting the three at the end of the first half. Lance Jones was pretty good last night. He's a guy I thought would be in double figures, but you never know how you get to 10 points or whatever it may be. But he had 17. Yeah, he was good last night. One thing he was asked about, the environment in Assembly Hall. He said, quote, I did not see this until this morning. He said, quote, it was cool. It was nothing like Mackie, though. That's all I have to say. And then the second one, and don't worry, we had this forwarded to us uh, moments after the game last night. Head coach Ryan Walters, the football coach there at Purdue, quote on Twitter X, I guess Purdue doesn't suck. Uh, of course, that is in <laughs> reference to our guy Kurt Signetti, oh, Coach man. Sig, if you will. saying produce Ryan sucks. So Ryan Walters and Lance Jones, just to, you know, just a couple quotes to put out there after last night's blowout
5: win. I can get behind a Ryan Walters, Kurt Signetti hey, little I, feud I, here, right? I,
1: I, the I bucket game needs something. I, I, I did not know. When I took this job in August, that potentially we might be sitting on a Kirk Signetti Ryan Walters feud. That's no, not something God I bless had. Sports. That's not something God that bless I, <laughs> rivalries
5: that, and fandom. That wasn't
1: in the employee handbook
5: when you I know, took the job. The, the environment last night again, uh, as always, just just incredible. Um, and disappointing that you know they couldn't get return, I guess, on the investment, if you will. Uh, from the team on the floor, you know, the Indiana cuts it to 12, and Andy, I thought the roof was going to blow off. You know, Indiana cuts it to nine, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're about ready to storm the floor. Uh, and you just could never get it into a realistic, you know, real game pressure on Purdue. Again, sure. Matt Painter's taking a timeout. Yeah, out. four or five points. You he's know, called a couple timeouts. You've got guys, right. you know, maybe bitching to each other on the floor, right. you know, your fault, you know, finger pointing things like that. Never really sniffed that. Uh, I know, I, I've been fortunate to be inside of Mackie, be inside of Assembly Hall, and, you know, okay, what's the better environment? You know, obviously, from a viewing standpoint, Mackie is by far the better viewing, sightline, arena, things like that. Obviously, Assembly Hall, much, much bigger. And the verticality, if you will, of Assembly Hall makes it so damn loud. I think both, both places are absolutely rocking and uh, cannot wait. Cannot wait to uh, see the rematch and, and honestly see uh, uh, the response, if any, from uh, Indiana, come yeah. up in a in <laughs>
1: If, if any, that's that's the key verbiage. We'll get to some pacer stuff here in a second. I wanted to ask you these two things emanating from last night's game. Is there, you know, because for me, the, you know, we talked at halftime the game was over right you know i'm already thinking okay i'm throwing the dirt on the grave and then indiana makes that comeback and i'm thinking okay if this gets down to a 5 point game or if indiana comes all the way back here and we're talking about a nail biter then some of the conversation we praise indiana but we also look at purdue and what do we say wow well, this is this is how you lose in the tournament right like everything's a big picture with purdue but it gets to a 9 point game they make the you know necessary changes and Kevin, then they just roll and they win by 21 and they, you know, they don't make it a game and they put Indiana away essentially for a second time last night. So my question would be this, is there something um, and you could take it both ways that you loved or something that worries you big picture about Purdue? For me, there's just not a lot that worries me again. It got down to nine and then they put them away again. And for Indiana, is there and because you've looked at me every single time they've lost a game or in these when they were playing mid-majors when they were barely winning when it was a two-point game with two and a half minutes to go in assembly hall you've looked at me and said is this where we are with indiana and i've looked back at you and i said kevin yes this is where we are with indiana if they go and they finish whatever they make the nit they don't make the nit nobody cares about the nit um you know, is there is there any big picture? What's the takeaway, I guess, other than, well, it's a bad season and, you know, uh, Woodson has proved he'll go recruit and he needs, needs to hit the portal harder and and that sort of thing. Is there any lasting effect having this kind
5: of a crap season, Well, I, do you think? I, I think if you're Mike Woodson, you got to reinvent yourself or, or at least attempt to. I, again, I, I would argue he's been way too stubborn in the blueprint he walked into Bloomington with and whether it is a very NBA-centric blueprint and thinking that that execution of it was the exact manual, if you will, that was going to get Indiana back to whatever level uh, he wants to get them back to. Uh, I I would start there. It's a huge look in the mirror moment, and it is a warming hot seat unquestionably uh, for him. I I think you have to start there for Indiana if if this is it. And I think it's probably fair to say the season – you know, very well could have ended last night. I need
1: to look it up, but Kempom only had them being favored in maybe one game the rest of the season anyway. That's before last night. And again,
5: like Indiana needs so much just to even get back in any sort of realistic, you know, tournament conversation. I mean, if you're a Purdue fan exiting last night, I think you continue to have very encouraging signs away from home. And I know, obviously, you didn't say that Nebraska Northwestern-wise, but... You know, Fletcher Lawyer, specifically Andy, to last night. I forget which game it was in Maui. If it was Gonzaga or Tennessee, it was one of those two where he, you know, did a lot of the heavy lifting. And last night, for an Indiana kid that I don't think played great. It was Tennessee. He had 27 in the Tennessee game. Hit seven threes. And that was the, you know, they kind of mucked it up. Oh, yeah. I want to say Edie might have been in foul trouble in that one. But um, you obviously needed something from Lawyer. And, And I think the question is, okay, do you have a second guy that can be, okay, yeah, 16 or 18 rather consistently, especially if Edie is limited in any way, for Lawyer to do that in that environment, uh, that really stands out to me. And I've harped on the Maui-Arizona run here for Purdue in the non-conference. If you look at how they won those games, you know, Arizona was more of a shootout, was Lawyer and Braden Smith right there with Zach Edie in the scoring department. Then you go back to Maui, the first game against Gonzaga. Uh, that was a lot of Edie right. In the first game, I'm trying to think of how Maui unfolded. You yeah, get, mentioned Lawyer against Tennessee. Yeah,
1: Gonzaga. You know what, Tennessee, it was going to be a muck it up. Yeah. yeah. Against Gonzaga, it was Edie 25 and 14. Lawyer actually only two points in okay, that so game. So that was it. Lance Jones and Brian Smith had better games. Gonzaga, Lawyer
5: kind of disappeared right. like then he comes did at times back. last year. Sure, he did. But they still won. Sure. Then you go to Tennessee, they really muck it up. Lawyer steps up for you. Then you go to Marquette, and that's where, boom you can win a little bit more of a shootout. So if you look at the four non-conference wins all the way from home, the four big ones, the three in Maui and the one in Arizona, it was four different types of wins. Then you look at last night. Again, ED is a video game. Don't take them for granted. Incredible performance. But in those types of atmospheres, you get Fletcher, Lawyer, and Lance Jones with, I thought, no hesitation took some shots that maybe at times you'd say, boy, that was challenged, or, you know, is that a good shot? And just stepped up there and banged him home. And Mm -hmm. to do that again in those environments, what does that do for you in March when six games, that's the goal, and I get it, Purdue just got to win one or two before we start even thinking about six. But if you do go on a six-game run, it's going to look very different. It's not going to be some smooth process where 30 and 15 every night from Zach Eady is a given, and that's going to be, uh, you know, what you need to get it done. So I, I think if you're a Purdue fan, specifically Lawyer and uh, Smith, uh Jones, because if you would have told Purdue fans last night, Braden Smith, 2 of 14, they would have said, oh, bleep. Right. That's not good. It, it, but yet they win by 21 with their second most consistent guy, being 2 of 14 from the field. At two
1: things, and you mentioned this with Indiana, you know, Lance Jones, not a guy we knew, going to Purdue, you know, very much a question, hey, is this guy going to fit in? He's a starter, he's getting a lot more minutes. You know, Indiana, I know they missed out on Dalton Connect who is the, who had 39 last night for Tennessee, who is who is bleeping awesome, okay? Uh, and I know they missed out on him. Indiana was recruiting him, and what a, you know, they didn't recruit too many guards this offseason. He was basically the main one. I do not know. I would love to know. If you know, at the only sweep dm me uh i would love to know this story there but it's not like indiana yes they could use a star like that they also and you mentioned this could use a mid-major guy they, like a they,
5: good solid mid-major guy who averaged 16 17 points a game at their school the, the candies would be on all knees for lance jones right yeah. now i mean seriously it doesn't even have to be i'm saying he doesn't even have to be lance jones but yes lance jones that type of, I mean, would be fantastic it's not like lance jones was breaking down no, the portal. Right. Dalton Connect, by all accounts, you know, was one of the more highly right. sought after. That dude's good, man. You know, NIL transfer <laughs> sort of guys. You know, remember that the, they had a brief. Uh, I don't know if Cormac Ryan ever officially visited, but the Notre Dame transfer yep. who now is at North Carolina. Yep. Yeah. And there are different levels too. And I think once you got to January last year, certainly once Jalen Hood had that game in West Lafayette, that dude wasn't coming back. Right. You knew he was. So gone. that's when, and, and by that point, Xavier Johnson has broken his foot like you know there's going to be some physical questions not to mention just his general volatility with it at that point those wheels have got to start churning, and you've got to start looking ahead to that because again that's life in 2023 2024 and how you need to rebuild a roster and it's not like Gabe Cups was viewed as some you know whatever Hood Shafino type no, of five star no. kid that's going to come in here and give you you know a dozen a night or more. All right, Pascal Siakam to the Pacers. The rumors are abundant. I've got skepticism. We'll throw it Andy Sweeney's way as well. Coming up here in the nine o'clock hour, Rick Carlisle joining us at nine
1: 30. Hey, we should give, we should give, give some love. He'll be on Friday at eight o'clock. Greg Rankstraw winning National Sports Media Association's Sportscaster of the Year in the state of Indiana. How about that? Well, well he might
3: have to get bumped a little bit because we have Ross Tucker at 8 o'clock on Friday. <laughs> oh, we're bumping the oh, Indiana Sports Broadcaster, the, the sports of, broadcaster the of the Year? He'll understand. If he's
1: such a great sports broadcaster, then he can go at a different time. How about Called, that? Yeah. Adversity. Ah, Face adversity. Disparage
5: <laughs> my Citadel-Notre Dame basketball driver, Greg Rangstrom. By the way, shout out to Kyle Menrip as well. <laughs> yeah, too. he won as well. Extremely well-deserved recipients there. We are very, very fortunate, and honestly, from a high school scene. I think at times, Andy, you get some markets that maybe neglect kind of that angle to it. Kyle Nenner and Greg Regstraw, unbelievable. Uh, when it comes to preps.
1: Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about it. So uh, Rick Carlisle going to join us coming up at 9.30, top of the 9 o'clock hour. We'll get into uh, obviously more IU Purdue, but the Pascal Siakam uh, rumors, and I think they're more than rumors. There's quite a bit of smoke. We'll dive into that in about six or seven minutes. You mentioned something, and it's funny, because I predicted this yesterday, and then I totally forgot all about it. So what's the YouTube chat saying that we need to know? It's something about our guy, Rob. I I don't know if it
5: was a ton of just strictly the YouTube chat. I don't want to act like it was just coming from one pool there. But it seemed like, I don't know, some IU fans were displeased with Mr. Hummel on the call. Last night, <laughs> I told you that was going to happen. No did matter, you, did you come away I, with I, any, no, anything? No, I, 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 think I Hummel's outstanding. Personally, I didn't no, catch
3: uh, anything.
1: Hummel's great. How was Noah Eagle? I thought Noah Eagle was 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 good too. Now, I mean, there's no, I mean, the only thing they said, you know, Braden Smith. You know, he remember when he hit that elbow jumper at the end of the game? You might have been walking to the car at I that think point. That was literally the, the last play. They're like, Braden Smith got it going. I'm like, well, no, he doesn't. But no, I thought the broadcast was was just fine. I told you this was going to happen. It didn't matter what Robbie Hummel said. Or didn't say, but the real takeaway is, dude, Indiana, you're, you're being boat raced in the first half in a rivalry game in your own stadium. That's like, where the criticism like what comes the hell, from, man. Because you're probably yeah.
3: pissed at the way they're playing, and then you're like, oh, now I got to hear a Purdue guy. You're mad. This whole you, time, you're mad
1: that you may have signed up for Peacock. You're mad. You're down twenty points. You're mad at Mike Woodson. You're mad at yeah. your guards. You're mad at Xavier Johnson, and then they throw Robbie Hummel's mug up there. You're mad at Robbie Hummel. That's I all it is. I did
5: think, and again, this had. In my opinion, uh, you know, one percent of bearing on the final score here, but I did think for a road environment, I thought a couple 50-50 calls went to the visitors. Yes. And, and I'm not a big I know, would agree. official guy. I mean, hell, I brought it up for the first time at eight fifty-six. But I I don't know. I thought there were a moment or you know, Mbako's second I thought was maybe a hair questionable. You know, I thought there was a time or two that, you know, Edie, they probably could have called him for one. But I'll be curious just, you know, in the rematch, uh, obviously, fouls and and Ware and Mbako and Mike Woodson continuing to ground them for the rest of the first half was a huge, huge storyline. So, does that have any sort of impact? The second time around again, instead of maybe the biggest winning margin in Bloomington since 1934, maybe it would have been the biggest winning margin in Bloomington since 1954 or something (laughs) along those lines. Rick Carlisle at 930. Do you like the Pascal Siakam rumors? Andy Sweeney. I'll toss that your
0: way next. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
1: 9 o'clock hour, good show today. A lot of reaction to Indiana-Purdue, Purdue-Indiana, the game last night. And as always, we're sitting here broadcasting in the very warm drive, Hubler.com studios. Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, will join us coming up at 9.30. All right, KB, you wanted to throw me a question. The Pascal Siakam rumors, boy, they've hit a, they've hit such a pace where I almost think now the Pacers are are going to do this trade at some point.
5: And I guess let's share the smoke before we get into our thoughts. Again, this uh from Sham Sharnia of The Athletic. Uh, pretty late last night. Uh, the Raptors and Pacers actively engaged in trade talks centered around two-time All-Star forward Pascal Siakam that would send him to Indiana for a package that includes Bruce Brown Jr., other salaries, and three first-round picks. The Raptors have engaged in discussions with several teams on a potential Siakam deal. I think the other teams he mentioned, Andy, were the Kings— Mavericks and Warriors maybe? Somebody else? No, it was the Golden State Warriors. Yep. yep. That was the third team. Uh, and, and remember, there was a team, the, the Kings, when we talked
1: about this a week and a half, two weeks ago, remember the Kings had fallen off? It was on a Friday.
5: Like The rumors were like, oh, the Kings aren't as interested anymore. I don't know how true that is. And again, Shams has a note in there that Sacramento, maybe it's cool there because Siakam's indicated he wouldn't sign. He He wouldn't want to be there. there. Them, Uh, But again, more to add on that. Again, this from the report here. um, Sources briefed on the talks between the two teams say there have been several back and forth proposals made. While the two sides have been described as being far along in the process. Uh, They have yet to finalize or agree to a deal. Um, To me... If Pascal Siakam is not willing to re-sign with the team right after the trade, right after the trade, trade deadline coming up on February 8th, it's a non-starter. I cannot run the risk of him getting the free agency. He's in the final year of his deal and him possibly walking as you give up Bruce Brown Jr. As you give up, again, there's an additional player or two that appears would have to be in this trade just contractually and the three first-round picks. That's my thoughts. Uh, just overall, what do you think about the Siakam deal? Would that be a non-starter for you? Uh, him not agreeing yeah, to a uh, extension. We feel the same. The
1: actual trade pieces the picks and because, again, you hope you're drafting at the back end of the draft going forward, right? And maybe one of those picks is early 20s and listen, there's still good players you can find, whether it's free agency, the G League, but you understand that the value of a later round, first round pick in the NBA, that's not the value that you get in the NFL. We understand that. So, to me, uh, you know, trade capital, that's nice, but to a certain extent, I feel a little bit like JMV that, like, a enough with it. Uh, if you're going to make a big move, you're going to have to give up something that hurts. Now, as for the players, uh, Bruce Brown, you look at a guy like Obi Toppin as well. These are expiring contracts, uh, guys that are easy to move if you're a rebuilding team like the Toronto Raptors. Um, I think Jalen Smith probably, I know his name, has kind of fit that mold. None of that bothers me, especially if you're keeping Jarris Walker and Ben Madden. And I know you're so high on Ben Matherin that, you know, I think fans are looking at those two guys specifically and saying, we're willing to deal, but those guys have to uh, stay. So if you're keeping those guys, and we're talking about guys that, you know, some of them, like Obi Toppin, I'm not not sure he has to be on the team next year. And if that's how you feel, that's how I feel, then giving up that sort of thing isn't a big deal. But it is a big deal if Siakam is a rental, because a team that says, yeah, we'll go with the rental, Kb, that is a team that feels like they're a player away. And as good as the Pacers have been this year, nobody feels like they are a player away. I, do you want a playoff I series with Siakam?
5: I, yeah, I, mean, I would let's, say the numbers absolutely on go up. that you do, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, and again the three first-round picks for Pascal Siakam.
1: Let's just yeah, let's let's say it's those two. You win a playoff a fair series. trade. Yeah, this because, year? yeah, because Siakam is a much better player than O.B. Toppin. You then don't defense? need O.B. Toppin as much. Bruce Brown defense, I, listen, it's it's going to sting. You're going to have to give up something. Uh, it's going to sting. I, I would even – let me add two things. You know, Brown didn't play the other night. It's a back-to-back. He's had injuries. Is it fair or unfair that we look at how much Bruce Brown plays in the next few weeks uh, and the only reason I say that what? is if it's a guy you're going
5: to move, you want him to be healthy. Yeah, what is it? Three weeks from tomorrow, yeah. right? Is the trade deadline. I think anytime we get into this window of the calendar, late January, you, to you're pay always like, to it. you know, uh, Pacers are playing Portland on Friday. I feel like all those Portland guys are rumored to be in trades right now. So I think you are curious about that. Um, you know, I just, um, I don't know if I want the, Well, I don't. I don't want this to be the first big swing. And I have nodded my head, agreed with, really liked so, so much of how Kevin Pritchard has retooled and rebuilt this roster. Um, and part of me sits here and thinks, well, give him benefit of the doubt, slash you would think Tyrese Halliburton is signing off on this uh, if Halliburton wants it, well, agrees with it. Uh, shouldn't he deserve boy, you know, that's benefit another of the angle. doubt as well? Sure. Um. But I, I don't know. I was so struck by Halliburton with the Team USA experience I kind of want to wait a little bit and see what else is out there. You know, is a soon-to-be 30-year-old here in a couple of months, a guy that, you know, I think there are some questions about him on the defensive end of the floor. Um, again, there are obviously questions about him re-signing with you, which to me is an absolute non-starter in any of this. It's a must if you're going to do this deal. And I get it. And, and certainly j and when I go on with him later, later today, we'll probably get into the whole draft pick debate. It has less to do Andy with me of spending three first round picks on three individual players and more to do with if you make this trade, what you have done is you have significantly shrunk any sort of notable deal you can do in the next probably two to three year window. Because cap space-wise, right. if you resign Siakam, right? you now got two max points. Yeah, players. he's going to have a max deal, sure. I think right now the Pacers, I believe, have five first-round picks that are eligible to be traded. Okay, so you're giving away three of your five right here. Um, and, you know, any sort of expiring deals. I guess if you want to view Bruce Brown in that light, obviously he would be gone as well. So basically what you're saying is, here is our big swing for the next two to three years. And you're getting a 30-year-old who does not match up with any sort of timeline for your core, a guy that I think there are some questions defensively and offensively, as gifted as Siakam can be. And I do think where he probably helps you out the most is come playoff time when the scouting reports really rise and they take away a lot of your action or your sets or however you want to call it. Siakam's a guy you throw the ball to. He can go get you a bucket. And he's also a guy that I feel like really needs the ball, though. Like, it's not a... He's a streaky shooter. It's not a spot up shooter in the corner where you know Halliburton's created and boom, there's Siakam hitting a 23 footer for you because he's wide open there. Those were some. Those would be some of my reservations. And then to get back to the Bruce Brown part of it, we've talked about the defense become bad. Don't be terrible defensively. Yeah, Brown's part of that. Lately, they've been just kind of average, to be honest with you. Which again, that's like hang a banner for sure. If you trade away Bruce Brown Jr. Do you now get back to being in the range of terrible? Because that's what, that I don't think we can lose sight of that. Tony East had the great stat a few weeks ago when he joined us, Andy. Of all the teams that won opening round series last year, seven of the eight were top half defensive teams in the NBA. The one, Golden State. They're the outlier of all outliers, frankly, probably in the history of the NBA. So does this move say, yeah, we're getting back to first one to 150, hopefully wins? That's kind of what it screams to me.
1: Well, and then we get into Wells Brown. Was he going to be back with the option next year anyway? Let let me let me throw it your way, uh, a different way. Let me throw it your way, but it, a little bit with a twist to it. We've talked about the gamble for Siakam on, well, if he doesn't resign, and, well, you're going to give up this guy or that guy, and what about the defense, and what about trading the first-round picks? And all of those things are valid concerns, and they're concerns that I totally understand. If you Pacer fans say, this is not the move, this is not the first, with Tyrese Halliburton, this is not the first big swing that I want. What is the gamble on the other side if you don't take a swing, at at this. In other words, and I always bring that up. What yeah, other names yeah. are out there? Well, what other contracts would fit? Um what no other one is guys? obvious
5: as this one. Yeah. No one as obvious as this one. But again, in the NBA you just never know and what happens around the summer when you get to that. Again, you know, some of these guys that played for Team USA with Halliburton, Andy, they were under contract for several more years. Okay. What happens when they start to reach right. the Siakam parts of their deals? Do they look at it and say, damn, you know, Halliburton and, and timeline wise, those guys match up more with that age range. This is a deal for OG and Anobi. I say yes to. For Siakam, Mm -hmm. I've got a little bit more skepticism because of age. And again, the first thing on the specific skill set. For Siakam, you say gifted offensively, you know, can score, can distribute, do a little bit of that. I think defense has got to be the early focus. And I would add one more thing to it, Andy. And this gets back to my original point of, to me, it's such a non-starter if he's not willing to sign... An extension right away. You're Pascal Siakam's agent. I'm Kevin Pritchard. You indicate to me that my client wants to resign with you long term. Then I'll say to you, okay, it's February 5th. There's two months to go in the season. Your client will be a free agent. Let's talk then. Why do I want to give up three first round picks and Bruce Brown and something else on top of that If I am going to be able to sign you, and I know it's not maybe a slam dunk, you might be competing with others, but if Pascal Siakam wants to be on a team, what good does this do for Pascal Siakam to do this trade in February? and all of a sudden go to a team that has lost some valuable resources well, that's why he's pl- in trying to th- build th- That's why
1: it. he's playing tough with the I'm not going to re-sign in Sacramento. The Kings can't make that trade. I mean, they're doing sports talk radio in Sacramento saying, if this coming out, this guy's not going to re-sign with us. We're not giving away picks. We're not giving away a couple role players that might be able to help us. I mean, that could be – listen, I think there's a lot of – Siakam understands he's not going to want to go some places. He also understands he probably wants to be in a contest. But then there's uh, throw the whole wrench into this is the Raptors can pay him the most money as well. They can pay him. What is it? Is It's a supermax, right? They, you know, being with the Raptors, they can pay him the most. So it's not up to him to make this easy on the Raptors. And then something we talked about last hour, the Raptors on top of all of this, have let superstars or superstars, good players of theirs walk, and they haven't got anything. So they're sitting here saying, well— do we finally keep one of our own or do we move uh, one of the, you know, just do we move him and get something because we have seen two or three, you know, big time players leave here and we haven't got anything. We haven't got guys with expiring contracts or good young players or draft picks
5: uh, or anything yeah, I, I else. I get why the Raptors want to do this. They don't want him to walk for nothing, right. to your point. But if you're Siakam, what, what's the urgency by February 8th? Isn't the money the same? Whether it's February 8th or yeah, June 8th. Just, just chill to the rest of the year. Because you're keep helping dropping 25 your, a game. your future team. Right. Whether it's Sacramento, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Golden State, whether it's Indiana, you're helping that team out. Uh, something to note on what the Pacers would be sending back. Uh, basically, to match salary, and Siakam is, I think, like 30-some million here this year. Um, I thought I saw 29 million would need to be sent Toronto's way. So Bruce Brown Jr. is at twenty you brought up the name Obi Toppin it's about 6.8 million so you know you throw those two in there you're you're very close to getting to the 29 million part of it and we bring up Toppin and Bruce Brown because they are both theoretically in contract years just like Buddy Hield you know very much buddy is actually in a contract year toppin is actually in a contract year Bruce Brown the Pacers do have a team option for next season. Uh, I would
1: probably, I'm looking up his contract right now, if I'm them, if I'm the Raptors, I would probably want, let's see, it's a club option after after 2025. I'd probably want uh, Andrew Nemhard as well. I don't know. You start thinking, of, and to me, none of those guys are untouchable. Let me spin one thing your way. I don't like giving up Nemhard. I, I, I know you don't. Uh, Jake Query put the same thing I think on Twitter last night. Let me just throw something else out there. I, I just like his if, versatility. If you're the Pacers... You feel pretty damn good about two things. You feel pretty damn good that you are able to draft... These role players, thats or or acquire I should say, role players. You would agree with that. I mean, this team, the depth, the role players, uh, the T.J. McConnells, the Nemhards, th- those sorts of guys, uh, they have been good at filling their team with. It is one of the strengths of this Pacer team, you could say the organization. The other thing, and it's worth remembering, you're going to have to give up something if you want to take any of these swings. And if you make this swing... You're still not giving up Benedict Matherin or Jairus Walker. So if I'm the Pacers, I'm thinking But are you kind of giving up on Jairus well, Walker? What, if you don't if you don't move him? No. Well, you say well, he plays the same position. That that Listen, I don't know I don't know what they think of Jairus Walker, to be quite honest. But if you believe that Walker and Mathern are guys that are untouchable, you you would keep those guys, you would get your superstar, and again, I'll go back to my original point, KB, you feel good that you have been able to replenish your roster with good solid role players, that you can go out and do that again uh this offseason in the draft, in other trades, etc. I'm just, throwing you the, I, 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 I'm just throwing it the other way. If you were to make this move, what the other side of it would look like.
5: And in, in a way, Ray, who just tweeted this at me, is kind of coming at it from the same point. He goes, scared money don't make money, KB. You always trade for an all-NBA type player, plus the idea of him getting $200 million and playing with Tyrese is enticing. That last part. Who else is in that boat? Who else around the NBA Right. Like, we don't the know. Idea I know. Of 200 million and playing an the entire time. But I, I think I know. the list is a little longer than just Pascal Siakam. Don't fall in love with your first girlfriend.
1: It, it, Cor- Corbin took over for it, Mark Dighton. You remember that. It seems like we're all in <laughs> this immediate
5: like. rush to want to do something. It's like the taste of the end season tournament has now all of a sudden reset everyone's expectations to like push chips into the middle of the table. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to get this huge rush to do that. Um, I think you can let this play out. And honestly, come this summer, you know, we see it every year, Andy. Teams in the playoffs fail for whatever reasons, and now that resets where they're at, timeline, who they like, who they don't like, and now you get to the summer and you're like, oh, wait, that guy's available? Oh, I didn't really foresee that being a possibility for this team. Um, I, I, I don't see the need to rush into it. Because I think if you do, this is your move for the next two to three years. And I guess I would ask that. Are you content with, Halliburton and Siakam being the kind of heavy lifters, one, one A, however you want to describe it, for the next couple of years. Um, I don't look at this team with Siakam and think, oh yeah, that's a legit Eastern Conference contender.
1: I I don't <sighs> I, view them we in that light. We we've done this dance. Um I, I just the you're gonna have to trade the free agent. I'm just looking at twenty twenty four free agents, and it's not very good. I I just don't know. I mean, it's not very good. And even a guy like Kawhi Leonard got re-signed. Paul George is going to be re-signed as well. I, I just, you know, I'm looking down at it. It's a lot of Gordon Haywards, Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, you know. D'Angelo Russell—it's a lot of those type of guys in free agency. I gave my Gordon Hayward thoughts. Yeah, I know. I know you do
5: very strong on that. Again, who else meets more of an age timeline? The Raptors are not the only ones that are going to be selling, quote unquote, here in three weeks or certainly in three months. Other teams are going to fit that mold. Other teams are going to have resets that they want to get accomplished and I just you know he's he's about to be 30. I mean that 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 time haven't we all been about this timeline timeline timeline? You know that does not check out with the Tyrese Pacers timeline and you know if you look at his you know injury history availability history, I don't think you could ignore that. He's a guy that's missed about 12 to 15 games pretty much on an annual basis. Once you hit 30, Andy, does 12 to 15 become 15 to 20? And what does that do? For you, in terms of what you're giving up, because this move would really shrink the possibilities of you moving forward.
1: Yeah, the scared money don't make money is is a side of this. Um, I, I just but I, are we there? I, like, are we in that much that, of a panic? That that,
5: that that screams a little the, now or never. The, like that screams disgruntled star wants to see you make a move, and if you don't, you piss him off. I,
1: are we there with Halliburton? I told I said this to Corbin, who took over from Mark Dighton. It feels like the man or woman who wants to get married so bad that when they fight, <laughs> they finally go on a first date. They're ready to propose. That's that's a little bit how it it feels to us. Is it, am I wrong by reading you? That's I how you feel. Don't, I you don't, don't have to fall in love at we're first sight. There.
5: Like we don't need a <laughs> ring shop just yet here. Like we can go on a couple dates before and we it do doesn't that. Mean that all of a sudden you shut the door on anything for the next several years. I'm just like, let's get to the deadline. Let's get to this summer. Again, a guy like O.G. Ananobi, I am not you know, immune to any of this sort of talk. Right. O.G. Ananobi and this sort of look, I'd yeah, say yes yeah, Go do it. And by the way, the Knicks have been fantastic since O.G. Yes has went that. there. Right. So it, to me, it's just the right type of fit, the right type of age, the right type of skill set. And to me, Siakam for this sort of trade – I'm not a huge fan of it. Last thing on this. What if it's free agency? And the Colts would, yeah, you know, some li- guys
1: would walk. Obi Toppin would walk. A little and probably bit more Buddy of a healed. fan
5: because I think you can, you know, still have the pieces to kind of add around that and maybe offset. Uh, not in love in love with it, but I, I could be – little bit more talked into it than you'd be I am more now. accepting because hey
1: we get this guy on our terms and we didn't have to give up you know three first round picks which again you hit on one of those suddenly you got a you know a guy who you're playing who's not making very much money
5: as yeah, well because again here you know I, I'm giving up whatever I, I'm having to you know give you my car and give you cash right you know, I, I have to do both it, it's a double whammy here um and, and that's what Uh, I do not like about that. We're going to have somebody from the Raptors on tomorrow, kind of get their point of view. Doug Smith going to join us coming up tomorrow um, to kind of get their side of it, because they obviously have been in pretty much a sell mode here. Um, And Pascal Siakam, is there? I think there's still some chatter, like, you know, he could return to Toronto, even though he doesn't really add up from a Scotty Barnes timeline standpoint with them. I did want to pass along. um, Looks like the Colts have released a statement here in regards to Jim Irsay. Nothing earth-shattering at all. Again, for those that missed it, Earlier, TMZ reported really in the wee hours of the morning uh, via the Carmel Police Department, some records they have obtained of an overdose, a suspected overdose. want to make sure I get that phrase right. Uh, from Jim Irsay uh, at around 4.30 a.m. back on December 8th, um, there's been a lot of questions about, okay, where has Ursay been? We haven't seen him lately. We did actually see him eight days after this reported incident. That would have been in the postgame locker room after the Colts beat the Steelers back uh, on that Saturday evening. Uh, I, Me personally, that's the last time I've seen Ursay, but we have seen him since this reported incident. Uh, the Colts share this, uh, quote, Mr. Ursay continues to recover from his respiratory illness. We'll have no further comment on mm-hmm. his personal health, and we continue to ask that Jim and his family's privacy be respected. I don't want to wear the tinfoil hat for very long, Andy Sweeney, but I'll just throw this at you. Okay. If you remember that Andrea Kramer interview that Jim Irse had back in the fall, and we had Andrea Kramer on right after that, there was a part in that interview where Jim Irse was very upset by um, the arrest that happened in Carmel back less than a decade ago and him getting pulled over and handcuffed that night and everything that kind of transpired legally after
1: yeah that. he said the police are after which uh rich white guys yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know that was that, direct, that, but that, that was yeah a, that made that's what made the news out of the entire piece right. it was that exchange
5: right uh, yeah and i'm trying to think okay who is leaking this to tmz well the only i knew See, that's where you're, I'm you're, going i knew, with I, knew this? I
1: knew that's where you're going the only thing i would say is tmz and TMZ and this has has sports this is what they do rumor and this sure. has been a
5: sure this has been the rumor now i sure. mean for several several weeks, weeks. Several weeks on this, but I, I just, I don't know if it's irony with it at all. And I know some people might not care. And honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, to quote, you know, what we said last hour, uh, sadly, addiction does not discriminate against anyone. And the, it's an unrelenting beast. And Jim Mersey sadly has dealt with it uh, for large, large chunks of his life. So certainly hope his health uh, comes around uh, and he can get the help that he needs with this continuing battle at the age of... Of 64. Uh, anything else Ursae related, I guess? Again, that Colts statement doesn't really say a ton. No, Just it doesn't. That, it doesn't say that, a ton. That it's, backs up if you're curious where the respiratory illness right. comes from. The Colts had said about 10 days ago that Ursae was dealing with a severe respiratory illness, and we did not see him at the Raiders game, did not see him at the Texans game. and you know, I've kind of said to people that have asked me about it in recent weeks, imagine how ill Jim Ursae must be to not be attending the biggest <laughs> game, game basically. Of Lucas Oil right. Stadium in nine years. I know. I know. Like I know, we all joke about Hugh Freeze in a hospital bed, watching his Liberty team or whoever it, uh, was, it was back then. It was Liberty, yeah. You know, play he played, he played Syracuse. Game. He
1: played Dino Babers in Syracuse in that game. You know, like Jim Irsay, <laughs> if he wanted to, they could whatever. Oh, uh, you know, hey, listen,
5: you're not wrong. with Teleport that. him almost into Lucas I Oil know. Stadium. So I say all of that to say clearly he is ill. He's ill. Clearly, if he's not in the building, for it's the sad. It's scary. It's yeah. sad and scary. That's what it is. It is. is. Um, all right, pop quiz coming up, or I guess maybe a pop quiz at the end. Rick Carlisle and a few. Uh, Andy, the quickest morning checkdown you've ever done <laughs> starts now. The morning check <laughs> down. By the Barbasol Horizon League Basketball
1: Championships. March starts here at the Indiana Park. All right, we can do this quick. Everyone knows the final. 87-66 last night. Purdue over Indiana. Purdue 16-2 on the season. Indiana now 12-6. 51-29 was your half-time score. Indiana caught up. Made it 9. Purdue pulls away a 21 point win. Up next uh, for Indiana is Wisconsin. Up next for Purdue is Iowa.
5: Zach Eadie, Lance Jones, Fletcher Lawyer. Outstanding, outstanding, outstanding. Butler loses at Xavier. We will have more Rick Carlisle related conversation coming up on the other side from the west coast where carlisle joins us live we hope here in a few
2: life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kisimta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kisimta and check out the details at kesimpta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: Always hanging on the drivehubler.com studios. You miss any of our conversations. You can always find those at 1075thefan.com. Download the app. You can take us anywhere uh, in the world streaming. We always appreciate when you make us a part of your morning querying company. Coming your way at noon at 3 o'clock is JMV. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Boy, do we uh, really appreciate Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, joining us this morning. Uh, coach, I know it's early. We appreciate it. How are you on this fine Wednesday? What's the temperature there? Uh, five to, Four degrees, I'm being told. Yeah,
7: four wow. degrees. Let me first start off by saying that uh, I uh, cannot talk about anything having to do with trade rumors. That's one thing. Uh, second thing is that uh, Tyrese is making uh, steady, uh, steady progress. And uh, has had no setbacks. So that's good news. Um, we've had a couple of rough games here, uh, you know, after the first win in Atlanta, which was a which was a good win. And uh, so, It's dark here in Sacramento. It's 6.30 in the morning. So,
5: there you go. Well, at least it's warmer than it is here, Coach, if you're looking for
1: positive. Well, Coach, can we do this? Everyone's like, you know, because we were talking out west, you know, we didn't know if we were going to have you this week, which is totally understandable. We always appreciate your time. And I kind of made a joke. I'm like, I just figured coaches are always up watching game film. So, I didn't know if we were actually waking you up or if you've been up for two hours watching game film or not. Well,
7: when you come out here, you know, there's a tendency to wake up early anyway, because of the time change and uh, presumably you've been on, been on Eastern time for quite some time. So, um, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Um, this is a interesting trip because it kind of starts East and moves gradually further West. And then, uh, then it kind of meanders back toward the East. Um, you know, with the last game being in Phoenix, um, one of the interesting things about the the trip is that uh, you know on the way back uh, we are uh, we're gonna be going through Tucson, so we're gonna play Portland on Friday night uh, Saturday morning, we will go from Portland and uh, the entire group will fly to Tucson. So uh, Ben Matherin is being uh, um, honored at the University University of Arizona, I presume at halftime of their game against UCLA in their ring of honor. So uh, that's great. A a lot of people, uh, a lot of players, coaches will, uh, will go directly to the, uh, the arena at Arizona um For that ceremony, and um the rest of the travel party will go you know get on a bus and go and the and the equipment truck will go from Tucson to Phoenix, which is I think about an hour and a half or something maybe a little more, maybe a little less but uh that'll be a a really nice um event for ben um and you know he's a two year player at arizona any anytime you're talking ring of honor, that's a pretty big deal in any sport so we're very happy for him.
1: Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned, and you gave us the update on Tyrese Halliburton. We appreciate it. Uh, you guys are kind of walking wounded, though, whether it be Bruce Brown or nee Smith or Ben Matherin. Can you give us, what do you feel comfortable update-wise on those guys and their injuries?
7: Well, we have a practice today um, in Sacramento, will be on the court at noontime. And I'll have a better idea of where we are at that point in time. Um, you know, Matherin's situation we don't believe is serious. Uh, you know, we also have Smith who has missed games. You know um, Bruce has been, has been recovering, you know, uh, with, with good, very good progress His situation with the knee. Um, who else? I don't know. we got we got a few other aches and pains and nicks but um we'll find out we'll find out more today but uh but Tyrese is the one that's uh you know I, a lot of people are thinking about because um of how how important he is to our team and you know all these guys are because we really are a a, a sum of the some of the parts operation here um but he's doing uh, he's doing well he was uh Granted permission to uh, take a detour last night. He went to the BYU Iowa State game up in Provo. Uh, that didn't go so well for his uh, his alma mater. I saw the score this morning, but uh, he uh, he was back here last night, and so uh, he'll be with us today.
5: One last thing on Halberton from me, Coach. And again, thank you for the time, especially with the time zone change here on this Wednesday morning. Right, is the expectation still will not play on the West Coast trip reevaluated when you guys get back?
7: That's the expectation. Yeah. I mean, uh, but we'll see. I, you know, he, he's making, he's making progress. Um, I should say he's making steady progress. And, um, and so, you know, we'll see what's what today. I, I know there have been a lot of clips of him on the court shooting, doing some running, uh, things like that. And um, so, I again, all things, all things considered when this happened a week ago, this past Monday, um, you know, I mean, the, the news was was very good initially in terms of the MRI. And then, uh, you know, as, as he's kind of cycled through the first week plus, um, you know, a lot of a lot of good positive signs.
5: Thursday is the midway, and again, Rick Carlisle joins us coming up back-to-back Sacramento-Portland uh, here coming up uh, Thursday and Friday night for the Pacers here on their West Coast trip. Uh, Thursday, I think, is the midway point of the season. I guess it just kind of big picture. I'll leave it pretty open-ended. Uh, what have your general thoughts been? Certainly a lot of ebbs and flows through the first half of the year, but what are your general thoughts on what you've seen from your team through the first half?
7: Well, many positives uh, for sure. Um a lot of people will hearken back to the to the in-season tournament, the run that was made there. That was exciting. Um, you know, we hit the reset button after Christmas with some pretty significant lineup changes and uh, you know a greater emphasis on defense. And uh, you know, we've, we're 12 games into the in, into the lineup change. You know, before the Utah game. Over that uh, 11 game period, we um, have been ranked. We were ranked 12th in the league in defense, which is a significant improvement. That's something that's good. Um, Yeah, we let go of the rope a little bit in the Utah game, um, and you know they put up 130 or whatever it was. So that was that was disappointing. But we need to get back in the gym today and get get working on things and uh, you know get the wheels back on the wagon.
1: Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Lakers Hotline. Some guys have had to step up and play more minutes, and some young guys you mentioned in the Utah game had to do that as well. Uh, some of those young guys getting more minutes and playing different roles with all the injuries. Uh, how happy, or I guess, how you know what need what what else do they need to do to get more minutes? How would you evaluate guys who have got a little bit more of a chance to play here recently?
7: Well, it's there've been some great opportunities uh, for these guys, and uh, you know, more minutes are, are earned with uh, consistent work. With uh, consistent work in with the G League team when they're assigned there, um, we we look very closely at their at their day to day habits, and uh, you know, we're we're very vigilant on the importance of building championship habits. Uh, you know, hard play type type of things, consistency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the guys that got in at the end of the Utah game, there were some there were some um, some very good stretches there. And then as I said, I mean we let go of the rope in the last two minutes and let Keontae George knock in some threes and you know I think it was pretty clear that the guys that were out there were were very tired, night night two in a row in, in uh in altitude, you know, it wasn't 5,200 feet, but it was 4,300 feet, and uh, Utah's playing really well, and they were rested, so that's, you know, it's, you come out west, none of this stuff is easy, um, but uh, you know, you saw, you saw the guys, the young guys do do uh, a lot of good things, and you saw some things where you know, more work is, uh, is, is going to be needed to continue.
5: West Coast trip does continue, Sacramento and Portland on a back-to-back, and then Phoenix, as Rick Carlisle mentioned, to close things out coming up this weekend um, I remember a few I don't know maybe it was a couple of years ago I was listening to Kevin Pritchard's talk around the trade deadline Rick and he mentioned something how you guys like to inform your players if they are involved in trade talks I, I'm curious like what is that discussion or like when do you find it the point to inform guys I I, I from afar I think that'd be like a really delicate balance of like yeah you want to be transparent with your players but you know when is the right time to inform them, and do you worry about their psyche moving forward? So, I, I, how do you approach that with the trade deadline coming up here in a few weeks?
7: Yeah, I think I don't, I, can't, I don't know if you heard me when I said I can't talk about tra- 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 trade rumors, but I, I understand the question. I appreciate the question, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a unique it's a unique approach, and you know it's. There's not. I don't. I don't think. You know. If you ask Kevin Pritchard and and Chad Buchanan about this, there, I don't believe that they would tell you that there is any set formula. I mean, things probably <laughs> would have to be very imminent, and so a lot of, a lot of that stuff comes down to um, the timing and kind of the last. You know. Uh, the last minute of things, in in most cases, um, you know when I don't know. I, I can give you an example because this this happened uh, basically in our locker room before a game. I mean, we when Karis Levert was traded to Cleveland, we were actually in Cleveland, and um, it was before the game, and you know got word that the trade was was virtually virtually complete, and um, so we. You know, we we talked to Karis. <laughs> it was in my office in the locker room in Cleveland, and said, "Look, this is you know, this is about to happen. We want to give you um, give you the respect of of, uh, of letting you know." And, and I also brought in a couple of other veteran players and and let them know because um, at that time those guys were the leaders of the team, and 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 it's a respect issue, and it's it's also something that. Is um, part of how we do things. So, yeah, that was that was one example of it. But it, there, I don't see a, a scenario where they're ever going to be exactly the same.
3: Sure.
5: Well, I appreciate you answering that. Um, last one from me, and I, I know it's not necessarily your sport, coach, but I thought. If you look at the past week or so from a football standpoint, some real titans in that in his industry have retired or you know might be retiring. You know whether you look at Nick Saban or Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick. You know when you look at your run in the NBA, and, and you know again maybe age doesn't match up with some of those guys. But why have you kept coaching for as long as you have? When you know certainly the game has evolved um, a lot from you know when you got your first start. In the NBA, why why have you kept going? Uh, you know, for more than twenty years.
7: Yeah, well, that's that's a very reflective question, but I, I, I would say that um, I just have such great love and respect for the game. I I grew up I grew up, <laughs> I grew up um, in awe of the NBA from from afar. I, you know, I I grew up in a part of the country that didn't have cable TV. I mean, two of our three TV stations we're Canadian um, because I was up in the Canadian border at Augensburg, New York. We had a, we had cable. We had a, something called a rotor, which is, you know, if you change channels, you you, you turn the rotor to uh, adjust your in- antenna to point a different direction. It was either Kingston, Ontario, or um, Ottawa, Ontario were the two, were the two places where there were TV stations other than Watertown, New York. So we had the, we had the CBS affiliate, in Watertown, New York, but we didn't have ABC, and and back in those days, that's that was the uh, that was a network that had NBA games. So if we wanted to watch NBA games, we'd get in the car and drive ten minutes into the city of Augensburg. and we had friends there that had cable, and so I, I watched it, you know, in 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 great awe from a distance. Grew up watching, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know Al Cinder and Oscar Robertson, and, and of course Al Cinder became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, with Milwaukee. And then I was a Laker fan for a few years when they were dominant. You know the year they won 72, and then um, then I became really fascinated with the 76ers from afar. And Dr. J was my favorite guy. And 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 through it all, the irony for me was that you know I was. I was not a Celtic lover at all. And then I ended up getting, of course getting drafted by the Celtics um, in, a, in a, in a year when they had just won the championship and didn't really think I had any chance in hell of making that team. But then so, sometimes if you're a, a role type player like me, the best thing to do is get uh, drafted by a team that, that has some real superstar talent. And then maybe you can be one of the guys that fits in. And so um, all that worked out. And I just, you know, I, I just love the game. I, and, you know, I went from five years as a player to my last shot with, with the Nets uh, with Bill Fitch. Um, I made the team for a month and then he cut me and offered me a coaching job in the same phone call. I worked for him for three years and Chuck Daly for two years in New Jersey. And, you know, Chuck, Chuck used uh, a great phrase. He said, um, you know, love and respect for the game. Is, is such is such an important part of how things go in your career. Um, and so I just I always had great love and great respect for the game. I I would listen so intently to guys like Chuck, you know, on, on charter flights from city to city and um and then and then from there, I, mean, I was an assistant for eleven years, got my shot as a head coach and you know, I've been asked over the years, you know, a, you know, the, the question you asked similarly, um, but you know, what are your what are your what are your passions in life? Um, you know, the, uh, n- number one is is family. You know, my wife Donna, my my daughter Abby, they're number one. But uh, I love the game, and I and I and I love to lead and to teach. And um, I have seven former assistant coaches that have gone on to become NBA head coaches, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things I'm most proud of. Um, I've got multiple people on this staff that are NBA head coaching material. Lloyd Pierce, obviously being um, the one that's, uh, that's the most obvious. And, um, and so it's just, it's a great game. And and I, it, you know, such a blessing to be back um, in Indiana, Indianapolis where so many important parts of my career have happened. You know, I went, I went from being an opponent prep guy in Portland as an assistant to being Larry Bird's offensive coordinator, doing practice plans every day, et cetera. And that, and that really elevated my, my confidence to become a head coach. Um, took a year off know, ended up getting the Detroit job for a couple of years. <laughs> we competed very intensely with the Pacers and then ended up back with the Pacers, you know, and then, that was a four-year run, and then uh, you know an amazing thirteen-year run in Dallas with uh, with Nowitzki and 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 Doncic and and Jason Kidd and Jason Terry, and great ownership all 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 along the way. So just you know very very blessed to be back in Indy, you know with uh, with an exciting young group. And the one thing I'll say about you know all the conversations. Um, uh, whether they be about trades, about the ascension of our team, or whatever, is that um, we have an exciting thing going in, in Indianapolis with the Pacers. And people are talking about the Pacers, um, and high-level players around the NBA uh, are talking about playing with Tyrese Albert and with the players. And that's something to get really excited about if you're a Pacer fan or part of the Pacers organization.
5: Last, last one, Rick, and thank you very much for that answer. Um, I know your love also extends off the floor as well. Did I see correctly that the uh, Drive and Dish initiative that you are spearheading now, uh, the first delivery of meals, I think 500 boxes, happened earlier this week?
7: That's right. 500 boxes per week of uh, 20 20 pound boxes of produce um, going out to Christa Moore House and Edna Martin um, Christian Center. both our, uh, community houses in, uh, in Indianapolis, very, very proud to be part of this. And I just want to mention the people that have made it possible. You know, it's, it's, uh, myself, Steve Simon, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, a good, a good friend who's now a season ticket holder, Clay South from USA Upstar has, uh, has donated a significant amount of money, um, Joe Sunderman from uh, Penn Station Subs is is a contributor, and uh, our own Mark Boyle is uh, is a significant contributor as well. And I'm I'm very grateful for for all of those folks. And this is an opportunity to really address food insecurity in Marion County at at a a very high level. So we're uh, we're grateful to uh, 913 Logistics, uh, to Gleaners, and all the folks that are helping out. But uh, this this is an exciting initiative and um and we're in this for the long haul appreciate you guys asking
5: you bet congrats on that coach good luck tomorrow night and uh, safe travels the rest of the uh, road trip and really appreciate you uh, making time for us despite the time change so thank you for that
7: okay good talking
5: to you guys take care rick carlisle Payless liquors hotline we are way over we'll be back to round things out
1: All right, final segment of the show. Reminder, you miss any of our conversations. Joe Wrights, we had on in the 7 o'clock hour. Rick Carlisle right there, and then tons and tons, about an hour and a half, two hours of IU and Purdue conversation from last night. Check it all out, 1075thefan.com. KB, I know you want to react to just two things at the end there that Rick Carlisle actually
5: was able to tell us. That'll be up on the podcast here shortly. Rick Carlisle live from Sacramento with us here at the end there, just organically as he's answering a question about honestly just a long coaching career in regards to you know Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and some of those guys uh, no longer coaching at least currently. Uh, he said something there of you know just out of the blue, high level players want to play with Tyrese, and that quote. High-level players, plural, want to play with Tyrese. That comes back to my Pascal Siakam thoughts, Andy. I think we live in a bubble of this is it. He's the only one. I think you can find something that matches more of what you need to look for. Siakam's a really good player, really good player. Very gifted offensively. Would certainly alleviate some stress there come playoff time in throwing the ball to him and letting him create but I think there's just guys that make more sense. They might not be as obvious. Seattle's obvious. The reports are out there, Toronto's going through a rebuild, Scotty Barnes is who they're building around, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I just don't want to be that short-sighted with it. I think there are going to be other opportunities that again, might not jump off the page of the who on January 17th. Um, but you know, if you go back to a couple of years ago at this time, Andy, You've got reports saying Sacramento's building around De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Mm -hmm. Well, how did that turn out? Right. So I just think there's an element of, I can say patience, but I'll also say don't close the door continue to be open-minded. Something might happen the next few weeks that checks more of a box to me than Siakam itself.
1: Yeah, you never know who's happy or unhappy in the NBA player-wise. change quickly. With so much player empowerment as well, they can kind of go where they want to go. No, I listen, we knew he couldn't answer it, wouldn't answer it, but I thought your question, it was a workaround. That's what it was, Corbin. Young Corbin is a workaround. Uh, you know, do you tell guys if their names are out there? Bruce yeah, Brown's name, obviously, Obi Toppin. I their figured names. he might open up it. <laughs> <And> eventually, he <laughs> it's did. It's okay. I mean, he I wasn't think, happy I think the other thing is, you know, how much they are consulting Halliburton on all of this. If they make a trade or do not make a trade at the deadline in a couple weeks, I think it is an interesting question to ask. Hey, what has Halliburton
5: said? Uh, Thank you to Rich Carlisle. Thank you to Joe Wright. As Andy said, tons of Indiana Purdue talk around that tomorrow. Chuck Pagano early in the show. Uh, We'll have someone from the Raptors to talk Uh, a little bit of uh, Pascal Siakam as well. Everybody have a great Wednesday.
3: We'll talk to you tomorrow.